Hello friends, hope you're doing well and staying safe during these just well surreal times. Now I know we're all sitting at home, we're all overthinking things and some of us are just thinking about our lives and where they've gone so far and well how many of you remember your first real friend? Not some kid from daycare or a forced friend that was just the, the kid of your parents friends. No your first friend from the neighborhood. How many of you are still friends with them? I'm still friends with mine, and he is the guest on today's show. We met 40 years ago, and we can talk forever. So this is just part one of my interview with Charlie Barrett. was born in Portland, Oregon at Gateway Hospital and grew up in Gresham, Oregon. And I lived there until I was 10 and then was moved to North Dakota for four years, then to Palm Desert, California for high school for four years. That was a shock. And then Pasadena for two, LA for 10, Boston for one, Florida for two. I went to Maui with my dog for six months and I've been in Texas. For going on nine years now in Austin. So I've lived all over the States, driven all over the States. Um, yeah. I feel so, bad for anybody who hasn't lived in a lot of places because they can't experience the other where the grass is supposed to be greener. And I've seen it all. So I've seen everybody's, how everyone lives, how everyone gets their political views. Some people experience the melting pot of America and some people think Tabasco is hot and the only lettuce they know is iceberg and they all shop at Kmart understand yeah I, I yeah grew up not too far from you in Oregon and then Wyoming then New York back to Wyoming and uh, I was married to a British girl too so yes I've been around the world been around the United States haven't necessarily lived wherever you have but yes I've eaten more than um, Tabasco sauce and iceberg lettuce I, I've experienced some culture I lived in one of the biggest melting pots which was New York um, so you're born in Gresham or Gateway Hospital, Portland, yeah. Oregon. Yeah. I was born in Gresham Hospital, actually. Yeah. And uh, so how did your parents get to Portland? How did they meet? From what I heard, uh, this whole story was like my, my, my mom is from North Dakota. She grew up poor because her father died of alcoholism when she was 12. She watched him puke and shit blood and it was tragic and they basically lived off of her and her mom lived off of radish soup for two years while they scrounged some money together so as soon, as soon as she turned 18 she went to california my dad was dropped off at uh, all boys catholic school when he was 15 so he was left alone for four years while his parents got a job in tehran in iran working on the for gulf oil company so they basically left him by himself for four years at all boys Catholic school. At that time, he didn't know anything about anything. Got a girl pregnant, they got married, they had three kids, moved all out to California, and he was, uh, he was a grown man running restaurants when he was in his early 20s. But due to whatever they had going on, he divorced Leela and, and, uh, and met my mom after that, and they got married at the Little White Church in, uh, in Vegas, 
that little white church nice. that's super famous. Yeah. So they got married there, and I have a photo of them in front of that little white church. Yep, they had my, uh, they had my sister, Tanya, and I think she was born in Sacramento. Uh, I could be wrong, though. Then moved up to Oregon nine years later. My mom couldn't have kids. She had Tanya, and then for nine years, they were like rabbits, and they couldn't have any kids after that. And then all of a sudden, she got sick. They said, Mrs. Barrett, you're pregnant. She was like, what are you talking about? Wow. Yeah, so I was the oops baby. Oops, I'm pregnant. <laughs> So I was surprised and I was totally different than my sister. My sister is very conservative. Don't touch me. I'm a princess. Don't look. I can work harder than you or anyone else. And I'm just super wild and outgoing and I couldn't care about finances and stuff like that. So we're totally opposite. And growing up, I was kind of wild and she was very reserved and that caused friction. And, uh, and yeah, that is where you and I met in Gresham, Oregon as kids. Very true. Uh, so wait, do you say there's nine years between you and your older sister? Yeah. Between you and, and Tanya? Yeah. Eight and a half. No, six between myself and my older sister, Rochelle. Um, yeah, so, so that's what happened. So your sister, our sisters, my sister is a year older than yours, became best friends. And you're a year older than myself. And we became best friends. Very true. Yep. All due to this great forest that we had behind our yards. Uh, our school was right up the street. Powell Valley Elementary and it was a great time to be alive the Green River Killer was murdering everyone but we ran around in the dark like nobody cared latchkey kids we'd come home from work we'd open the door no one would be home we'd go inside we'd grab a pitcher we'd throw in some Kool-Aid packets and we'd well this is me yeah. <laughs> I put in five cups of sugar drank the whole thing and would throw it because I had like a sugar fever or whatever but uh, latchkey kids growing up in Oregon man that was a great time we could stay outside riding bikes, running through the woods, getting muddy, uh, playing with the dogs, playing Frisbee in the rain. We didn't know what sun was because we never saw it. So we didn't know we were lacking anything. We didn't care in the rain. And, uh, and I, had a, I had a blast, man. I mean, we didn't have we – had, we had what? Star Wars. We had ColecoVisions. You had Coleco. HBO. MTV had just become a thing. We were listening to records. We were listening to Van Halen and the police and Kiss. You know, Star Wars, wrestling, Pong, Atari. Like the, it was awesome. The 70s and 80s were a great time to be alive. Agreed. Agreed. I, I say we were built for this quarantine right now almost yeah. because – we were latchkey kids because our parents eventually divorced. And so we were just raised by one of them primarily and they were working. So they weren't around, you know, doing the discipline thing. And then in Oregon, it's rainy. So guess what? You stay inside and you're, you're inside. You maybe have a friend, maybe nobody with you, but yeah, you're watching MTV, listening to records. Um, I remember not having any sort of cable till, 10 or 11, but for I remember our first VCR. Oh, yeah. Dude, were you with me and Bud and Aaron when we went to get the VCR and, and Thriller was on for the first time ever? Were you with us? Did you go for that drive? I don't think drive? so. I don't think okay, so. can I tell you something? Here's a yes, story about right. the first time I've seen Michael Jackson Thriller. Okay. Tanya, my older sister, is very conservative, hated me. I hate you. Knives out, everything. See, we've mended that since then. Yes. But uh, so we go to the video store to rent a VCR and rent a couple of movies. So Bud, my mother's boyfriend at the time, after my dad had left, and his son, Aaron, who I felt super bad for. He was a very 
timid, shy kid and always nervous. His crazy mother belonged to a religion that's no bueno. Yeah. He was abused by his stepfather too. But anyway, Bud was a super cool guy. He took Aaron and I to the video store and there in front of us were all these videos, all these VCRs to rent at the time because that's what you did when that was a thing. Yeah, okay, We didn't own one yet. And on every television, it hadn't even come out yet or just come out that week on MTV, was Thriller. It was the video. Then it was the making of... Then it was the video again. And Bud, as a musician who played piano with a jazz band, he, was, he loved it. And Aaron and I were kids, so we loved it too. We sat in the video store and we watched the whole thing. Watch the video. We watched the whole thing for an hour and a half. Then the video again. We're like, oh my God. So we rented that couple movies, rent the VCR. By the time we got back home, it was like two hours later. And my sister was fucking livid that we were, we were supposed to go get movies. Why were you gone for two hours? It would have taken me 15 minutes. And we're like, you don't understand. What you're about to witness is the coolest thing you've ever seen. So we throw it on, we throw it in, she sees it. And then, then that week, Thriller becomes the number one album of all time and, you know, history. But I remember that, renting a fucking click VCR. You stick it in, you click it down. It wasn't even the push in type. We, our first VCR had a remote on it and that might've been, the, and it was a cable and that might've been the first remote minus me. Like, you know, as kids, your parents be like, Oh, change that channel. You that's, right. There, click, click, that's, click. Your, that's right. Click, 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 change it. And luckily only had, you know, four channels, but then, yeah, I remember the VCR with the big old long remote cable on it. Just had like fast forward or re rewind on it. Oh yeah. Rainy movies was the way to go. Even after that, though, if you think of the inside of an old car, very bare minimal and metal parts with hard plastic, the, the, the first remote control was, a, was like a box of hard plastic with metal buttons that would literally go click, click yes. down. There was like six buttons. That's it. Click. My, my grandfather, my grandparents had that, the flash screws. I remember it was three buttons. Up, down, I think volume was one of them. Wow. Yeah. And so I mean, volume, may, you may have had to like go all the way up just to get back to, ah, that doesn't make sense, but probably just because that's how remotes works. But one was channel up, one was channel down. And yeah, that noise, click, click, click. So yeah. funny. Cause, and I then that's so how you say, hand me the clicker nowadays. And, yeah. and you, you know, millennials clicker. will look at you like you're you know, drunk or something. Oh, dude, talk about, <laughs> listen, let's back up here. First. Yeah. <laughs> millennials, let's talk about that. Sorry, One there's second. more younger generations of millennials there in their 20s and stuff, Xennials, whatever they're called. Oh, listen, everybody here is loved. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I love oh, y'all. Yeah. But uh, so I'm playing Call of Duty Modern Warfare last night. Just picked it up, like fifth time playing, but uh, I, I dig it. Super fun. And I was talking to Daniel on there, who's in his early 20s. And I'm trying to explain to him because he had just mentioned. And if you guys don't know, Justin and I are huge Star Wars fans. Oh, yes. Okay, so he, he said, so I finally saw all the Star Wars movies in order and, and they, were, they were okay. And Matt and I had to explain to him, listen, you need to understand that everything you see now, as far as sci-fi adventure, whatever, has so much taken from when Star Wars came out. Because before Star Wars, everything looked brown. <laughs> there was no <laughs> lightsaber uh, music composition to a Flash Gordon type adventure like that. Nothing was made like that before then. In fact, if you go to 1977 and you look and you check out Logan's Run, that came out the same year. Star Wars, Logan's Run, same 
year. It's like watching Zardoz. You're like, what the fuck is going on here? So I, I told him, I was like, dude, we didn't, there was no, there was a landline cell phone, five channels, no screens around you. You just like, what are you going to do today? I don't know. Go outside until the sun goes down. And that's what we did. It's not like back in my day, but it really is. When you look at Star Wars, why is it so special? Because nothing was like that. It's like, think about something right now that we haven't seen yet. Teleporting. God, imagine when we before, we used to never be able to teleport like you kids can. And like, I teleport all the time. Teleport. Yeah. I teleport like five times a day. What? Deconstructing myself to a molecular level? It's child's play. You see what I'm working on now. <laughs> yeah, I... What I also say, like, it, after you watch Star Wars, I don't know if I caught it in the theater right off the bat, New Hope, maybe a few years later. But after you see it and then you try, it's like heroin. No, you try to catch that type of sci-fi movie from there on out. And I remember renting, speaking of VCRs, so many shitty, shitty, crappy sci-fi movies while Star Wars was being made. I always say that, like, the comparison to Star Wars and you made that like, that's, that's my comparison. I was like, what, Logan's seriously, run? any movie. Oh well, yeah. Well kind of to compare that time period. Yeah. Logan's run. I mean, it's no, Star look Wars it up. It's like playing out of the his apes. time. Oh, I remember Logan's run. It's Planet of the apes. Yeah. It was right. Yeah. That and was crazy. <laughs> and Planet of the apes too. In comparison to what Lucas was doing in 77. Oh, I froze. I froze. Oh, we're good. Huh. We're good. We're good. We're good. Yeah. It, folks, if you didn't know, we are doing this via Zoom. Everybody's doing this via Zoom. So uh, we, I just use the audio for the podcast. We freeze up. We can actually see each other right now. So uh, it's good to have because you get good reactions and such. And so, yeah, Star Wars, speaking of technology, this kind of technology probably doesn't exist without the sci-fi, without Star Wars, without Without the dreamers, people with imagination. Yes, Think of yes. cell phones. When we when people watch Star Trek in the sixties, look at the communicator. Yeah. Oh. Whatever he says, you're like, yeah, Dick Tracy in his fucking watch phone. You're like, that's never gonna happen. Bing, done. We're here. We're now. Yeah. I swear to God, even if you go to the grocery store and you watch the doors in front of you go and open up automatically, that was like, that's never gonna happen. What are you talking about? This is Star Trek. Nope, it happened. People thought of it. It's amazing. Yes. So we're growing up in Oregon together. Um, our sisters are best friends. We're best friends. Uh, what's one of your favorite memories from that time period of life? Oh my God, dude. That is like the, I, I love those memories. <laughs> uh, everything yeah. was, I mean, honestly, until we had to move to North Dakota, everything was so great. I mean, having the freedom of, a giant woods in the backyard with a creek that ran through it with running water with crawdads for a while and a yes. big tree that went over it so you could adventure across a giant fallen tree. As kids, your imagination goes crazy. Everything is lush around you. You'd be playing with like hide and seek or tag or in the water collecting sticks. You're a kid, you climb trees. And then all of a sudden springtime, whatever season it was, and the blackberries and the salmonberries would grow. And if you don't know what a salmonberry is, it's the same thing as a blackberry, but it's the color of salmon. There's a technical word for it, but if you look it up, they're delicious. But it's free food. So all of a sudden it would be like feast and all of us kids would be playing stick fighting and five or six kids would be just mowing down on berries, trying to get them as fast as possible because there's like 100 berries between five kids anyway. Um, being in the woods 
uh, hanging out with you. And my dad also owned a restaurant in Oregon on Halsey Street. If you go now, I think it's a Midas shop, but I know that Choi's Martial Arts is still next door. It's probably third generation now. But right before Halsey splits, if anybody listening lives in Portland, uh, there used to be, uh, it used to be a Kenny's loops and then it turned into kitchen hearths then it turned into barrett's and right across the street there was a dairy queen and my dad worked his ass off it was a 24-hour diner 2.99 steak and eggs still have the old menus and i would be everyone worked my mom worked as the hostess my sister waited tables my dad was the owner manager host cook he'd go back there he was hiring all the vietnam vets at that time uh, and I have so many fond memories of just being at the restaurant because it was 24 hours. My dad met everyone in Portland. He met the best plumber. He met the guy, you know, Rosie, uh, Ralph and Rose Shelton. He worked at the men's big and tall store. He was Ralph Shelton. Talk like this. Uh, Ron Pardue. You remember Ron and Sandy? Ron passed away, by the way, this last year. Big guy. And they own one of the best plumbing services in Portland. So he knew all these people. Then he'd invite them all back to the house and have these big parties and they'd all be smoking cigarettes and playing cards and drinking grandma and beer and smoking in the house with giant hair and collars and sideburns and craziness. Um, but memories of just honestly being outside as kids, you don't see that anymore. And we were always outside. And if, even if it was raining, we'd be outside mud and rain. If we had to come inside, we had enough, just fun nonsense because we had records were huge back then and it made you pay attention to the music. They made records in a linear order, side A, side B. This song is the beginning. This side B is the end. And you had to stay with it. It was tangible. When five songs are over, that part of the story is over. You get up, you touch the record, you turn it over. You could smell the vinyl, that sort of thing. Um, you introduced me to WWF, which was uh, so late. And I, as much as I, how wild as I was, my brain could not stay up late enough. I'd be like, this is great. I'd fall asleep, but yep. that was fun. I mean, we had so many, being outside, I mean, there's so many memories. I can't even. So can't you, even... you brought up that tree that was over the creek. Mm, and yeah. it, it, it was such a bad storm. I was right around when we first lived there because that tree was there forever. Uh, ripped it out of the ground and yeah. made it fall over the creek. Huge and, tree. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you were there. You probably could, should have been, would have been, I'm guessing. I crawled up it and because it was still a giant. I mean, I crawled all like I was probably. Before it fell. No, it was falling. And I was like probably 20, 25 feet in the air, maybe more, more than that, 30. And there are all the broken branches below. Like it was a fir tree. All the broken branches were below. And I fell from about 30 feet out into these branches. I could have been impaled. It was like landing like on a- Oh man. I could have been impaled. Like so many things could have gone wrong. I landed perfectly. And I mean, I'm sure Rochelle just screamed at me for crawling up there and falling off first oh, of all. Oh man. And I do remember the, the guys, people that lived in Hawaii uh, half the time came over and saw it all down and chopped it up eventually. That part of it, they kept that spot where we used to walk across there but the rest of it got chopped it's up. It's gone, yeah. Yeah, it was, so, I remember that. that was so crazy. check this out. I don't know if I ever told you this, but this is the type of freedom that we had as kids. Not only were we able to just roam around, 
like just go outside and play. We went, we went so far away from the house, but here's something really crazy. Now I can't remember if I had walked over to your house and you weren't home or I just left your house or what was going on. But when you left your house, and you went down Powell Valley Boulevard to make the left to the cul-de-sac that then wrapped around to my house where Sean and Tia lived, right? Was it Sean and Tia that they were kind of rowdy oh, kids yeah. came across the street who could smash the cement blocks because he was a karate kid? Okay. Okay. So I go down Powell Valley and I make a left where the cul-de-sac starts from the second house and their backyards kind of backed up to where you live, right? Yeah. And the water there. The second house there, there was a young kid and his older sister who might have been in high school. I was a little kid. I was probably like uh, seven or eight years old, just walking around by myself. They go, hey, we're, what are you doing? And I started talking to them. They go, we're going to watch a movie. I remember it was a dark and rainy day. I go in to invite, I get invited to watch, to watch a movie with them. I go to their basement. Can you imagine? Like your kid is just out there and he goes to a stranger's basement. But back then, it was just me and this kid and his sister. And what did we watch? which maybe should not have been watching, but there's so much shit that we watch that we shouldn't have been watching. But I watched First Blood with uh, Sylvester Stallone on a dark and rainy day in this stranger's basement. <laughs> I sat there and I watched all First Blood. And I was like, wow, that was an intense movie. Okay, gotta go, guys. <laughs> and I walked home with the weirdest feeling of like meeting random people. There were so many incidences like that when we were kids where you just meet because you don't know any better. I mean, that's why people do should protect their kids, of course. Yeah. Because back then, oh my God, I feel bad for anybody, anything that happened to anyone. But we had so much freedom back then. It was totally strange. I remember, uh, I remember so many stories, man. There's so many, I, there's some stories I don't know if I should tell on this. <laughs> well, I, my house was in the valley between two schools, middle school and the elementary school. And across from that elementary school, was uh, a store we called it the little store because it was little little convenience store. oh yeah and oh, my god yeah and we used to and it was 45 mile an hour street that's like flying by cars that were going on that street mm-hmm. i know our parents hated it but we did anyway we would walk up there and you'd get five cents a can in oregon you still get returns for can deposits yeah and we would pick them up on the side of the road and we'd buy candy yeah at that store or we have cans at our house or whatever. Not just candy though. Oh. Bubblegum cards. Everything. And candy cigarettes. And they had an asteroid stand-up video game there. And they yep. were like Croatian or Russian, the people that own that little store or something? Yeah. And they knew us. Like, so nice. Like you could go walk in there and they didn't know exactly who you were. I yeah. could show up with a, a, a piece of paper with my mom's signature on it said, sell him cigarettes. And so I wouldn't, they weren't for me, but I'd go buy our cigarettes for that's so fun yeah i mean it was pretty i I remember that place a lot may still be there for all i know i know the elementary school is still there pal valley and gordon russell is still there and so you spoke of latchby kids my mom would make me ride the bus but i'd ride it through the whole route get off actually as the, the bus was going back towards elementary school so i was on the right side of the road going to my house and that just killed time before my older sister got home. I get home, call my mom, kind of stay on the phone until my sister got in and then it was all good. Oh, let me, let, yeah. Yeah. okay, okay. I got a story for you. I have to tell everybody about the time that your Doberman pincher bit me in the leg. Didn't like anybody. It was very protective of you guys, so it was fine. But, man, when you're the size of the dog, like as you're a kid, yeah. you're face-to-face with the dog. And they had a Doberman Pinscher named 
sugar, sugar, which was as far from Wood's personality as possible. It should have been called Murder's Row. Like, it was such a mean little dog. And I'd look at it, and it would growl. Like a Doberman Pinscher, the front of their teeth, when they growl, I'm going to kill you. So this, your dog drank the creek water, which at the time was being uh, poisoned basically by the runoff of the streets. So oil, yeah. whatever. Got pregnant, knew the puppies were sick and dying, so it was kind of killing them, right? Yeah. So you would quarantine the little puppies in a room and shut the door. The adults would go in, check on the puppies, but the mother was not supposed to be near them. You and I would go through the window, through a little ladder to go check out the puppies. Now, you had left the window, but one of the adults didn't shut the door click fully when they had left. So now I'm in the room alone with these little puppies, looking at them. And I, to this day, I can hear from across a house when the bottom of the door, a door opens up and it brushes against carpet. That little sound right there, I can hear that because of this. I'm looking at these puppies and I hear, and I turn and I look to my right and there's Sugar looking at me, looking at the puppies, looking at me. And I'm like, oh shit. And I think she started growling. So I started to climb up on the bed and now I'm standing on the bed way away from the puppies, but she was like, uh-uh, get away from him. So she jumps in the bed grabs me by my leg. I still have these giant scars on my right leg from that. Drags me off the bed and drags me, pulls, yanking me out of the room while I'm screaming. Little kid screaming, she pulled me out of the room. So your mom, super strong, she comes and grab. I never forget this. She runs down the hallway, grabs Sugar off me by the back of Sugar's neck and throws this dog with adrenaline strength over her shoulder down the hallway, like boom. Yep, Hercules, like, it was awesome. She was Wonder Woman. She threw that dog down the hallway. And she takes me, brings me in the kitchen. <laughs> so I'm freaking out. And I didn't even see my leg. But it's really funny because your sister and my sister was like, we got this. You take care of the dogs and take care of the puppy. We got Charlie. Okay, let me see. And they pull my leg up. And at the same time, all three of us see that the holes in my leg had, like, bits of my flesh hanging out of them. And I watched both girls go, we're tough, we're strong, we got this. <gasps> and you just see their faces go white. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> and they both almost faint in front of me. And I'm looking at my leg going, wow, that's crazy. And they flip out. But I'll never forget that. And, and since then, or from that time, I was kind of scared about dogs. I got bit then on the butt after that by a Pomeranian playing karate with Tracy across the street. She goes, ha! I go, ha, ah, we both stick our hands up and her Pomeranian goes, ha, ah, and bites my ass cheek. And I go take wow. it off. <laughs> Third time after I moved to North Dakota, we actually owned a dog kennel. <laughs> my stepfather trained dogs for hunting and retrieving and we'd board dogs, breed dogs. And there was this cocker spaniel named Dusty. She was always barking, very angry. And one day I went to her kennel to clean it out. She didn't bark. I go, hey, little girl, you being nice. I put my hand out. She bites my hand, of course. Uh, but thankfully, as I got older, I started to uh, lose my fear of dogs again. And then after I got my dog, Cash, who is a shepherd pit bull mix. And as a puppy, he was so quiet. I was like, are you going to be a murderer? <laughs> well, I better start running you because I, I was a long distance runner starting in my 20s and 30s. And I, um, I started running him four miles a day, six miles a day. And man, I trained this dog. He's still alive. He's laying right next to me. He's 11. Great dog. 
man, my love for dogs is just, my heart is huge. Love dogs now. It's just my, and I love cats, love all animals. Everything's great. There's a few I'm not, I wouldn't own a snake. Go be a snake nah. somewhere else. But um, love dogs. Like I was just talking to my mom today, right before we talked about if I ever get a dog again, I'm definitely going to look for a shepherd, shepherd mix. I just love their loyalty. I can go on and on about dogs. <laughs> well, I, I do remember when uh, Sugar bit you. I was in the window. We were just about to leave. And that's why I was in the window, about to leave the room. And Did you see it happen? Because I don't. Yeah, I don't. Oh, man. I don't remember you being on the bed. But I remember. I mean, it happened so quickly that she just had you by the leg and oh, was out man. the door with you. She didn't get me by my throat. And so, like, it was interesting because we had to get rid of the dog. And my mom, my mom's like, "Well, we found a farm for it." And I, you know, later on in life, that's a code for we put it down. She's like, "So later on in life, I'm like, did you put sugar down?" I, I wouldn't blame you. She pulled Charlie out by his leg and she's like no we legitimately found a farm good that took her in and she could run around and we got her because we had people breaking into our house like yeah in oregon so we yeah. thought Doran pincher one time whoever broke in put her in the bedroom like she was not a good guard dog at that time but yet puppies on the line she's pulling you out by yeah. your leg yeah hey, I grew I have up a, dogs, did you so ever tell your listeners that you had the, the two golden retrievers you had were in a music video they might have heard on my radio shows, but probably not any podcast yet. I haven't had a chance to bring it up. Um, You're like, yes, every podcast I start with, I've ever told you that I had two golden retrievers that started a video. Was it New yeah. Shoes or who was it? New Shoes. They were New a shoes. Portland band. My stepdad was a trying to be an independent uh, director, TV director and such. And he was friends with this guy named Jim Blashfield who directed music videos. He also directed um michael jackson's just leave me alone where he's in a um uh, bumper car the whole time yeah all sorts of weird oh animals. yeah that was so a you, director yeah if you see looks, both those videos you'll be like yeah. oh same director of course yeah so wow um he was like hey mike i need dogs and mike's like i got two of them and he's like i'll pay you to f and we i think they each got like a 100 bucks to be in the video and if you watch this video it's new shoes i can't wait you can look it up on youtube and the opening shot um, is pans in on the dogs. Willie is sitting there, I think, just, and it, the camera goes right past him and Sonny's in the dog house. Or it might be the other way around. But then Sonny, throughout the video, the female, she does this thing where it's just like her head going back and forth. They just yeah. loop back and forth. So she's that dog throughout the video that they show. It'll go across screen here and there. And that's Sonny. That was my dog eventually. Um, there were brother and sister golden retrievers. Uh, Mike's dog was Willie, named after Willie Nelson, and they Good. were, yeah, they were just such like great golden retrievers. Like, yeah. if I was gonna go that dog route again, which I have two cats, love them to death, may keep cats for the rest of my life, um, but because dogs are shed a lot, and I've just gotten used to no shedding. Like yeah. cats do, but not as much as dog. I would definitely probably get golden retriever again, because I had one yeah. in my life was mine named Phoenix named after Phoenix from X-Men and nice. she died way like at seven, like just way early in life. I can't remember exactly what caused it. It was just, wait a sec. Let's, can we just tell people the, the best comic trade that you ever got <laughs> in your life getting back to the X-Men? What did I trade? You traded me a, 
So I had a, uh, I had an X-Men number, something you probably remember the number. Yeah. And it was the first, it was, uh, it's uh, not Mobius or Morpheus or Legion, but it was, yeah, Xavier's son that can change people's thoughts. What was it called? You probably have it with you, huh? So I was like, okay, this is cool, but you had a Justice League with all the characters in it. And I traded you my X-Men for that Justice League, which is probably worth a nickel, but the X-Men that you still have is probably worth a couple hundred dollars, even in the condition it's in. But man, yeah, that's a good, I've even, I've looked at that cover. It's got like a big rock monster smashing the, yeah, oh yeah, the day reality went wild. If you guys are X-Men fans, what number is it, Justin? Number 128. 128, X-Men yeah. number 128. If you guys are X-Men fans, I traded a, <laughs> he still has it, which is awesome. I'm so glad <laughs> you still have that. It, if oh, I had keep him, any of them. But check this out. Be the one I Can I tell you something? So when I left Oregon, and if I get off track, remind me, it's all about the Justice League going to comic book collecting. So what happened was, uh, you know, everyone's parents divorced. And my dad married his third wife, Marge. Boy, she was a cunt. But Marge and he moved to Idaho to open a Elmer's Pancake and Steakhouse. It's probably still there on State I Street. I remember it. Achilles. Yeah. Which we, uh, yeah, a lot of stories there. Yes. Um, so I go to North Dakota and we had to live on a farm for two years with that kennel in between Minot and the Air Force Base. And it turns out that the man that my mom had married was a drunken, abusive alcoholic. And it was awful. And after two years, we escaped. And I do say escaped and moved into town to finish out another two years until we could go to California for other reasons. But um, while I was on the farm, we would go to town once a week. And I found a place called the Book Trader at the mall in Minot. And the Book Trader, I loved books. As a kid, I read all the time. And I had a couple comic books. But he had sleeves of comic books. And I was like, what is this? And he was like, well, you know, we like to trade out comic books too. So if you want to bring them in, we can trade them out. So it was like, I, I would say if you gave him like five comic books, he'd give you one, that sort of kind of trade-off. I had a nice little stack and then I would pay. So every time I go into town, I remember that that Justice League comic book was the start of what was to become a collection that I started for the four years I lived in North Dakota, I have 2,000 comics right now. I have four sleeves, which house about 500 comics, all from that one Justice League comic that we traded. I'm glad you kept the X-Men one. But then that Justice League one was the beginning of what was to become every week I could go and I could take my allowance from working at the dog kennel and started my comic book collection, which I've got, you know, X-Men, Spider-Man, Hulk, Punisher, Wolverine. Those are the kind of the five top. And then I stopped when I moved to California. I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm, I was 15. I was like, okay, I'll just go get into sports. And I got into sports and acting and then I started singing in a band. Then I started doing drugs. Then my life just flew away like a careening comet out of the space. But, um, but I remember I still have all those comics. I was just showing you uh, a picture of I just got all new sleeves. I have to re-sleeve all my comics, you know, put them in new. Cause I guess the, the plastic acetate or whatever messes up the paper. It's, I have so yeah. much work to do and I've got all this time in the world. I'm like, Oh, do I really have to do that right now? <laughs> it but, was um, interesting that that time period that you left Oregon, I probably had maybe a year left, maybe two there. And everybody was comicking up like, there was a place we were learning, we were riding our bikes further. 
Like I'd go with the Miller kids. Oh, to collect comics. To collect comics. And that's how I, I'd started developing stacks and every, you know, boxes full. But yeah, as time moved on in my life, they weren't that important, but I was like, I want to keep a, a nice little collection of them. All these ones I just kind of had in my hands, all X-Men for the, they're my favorite comic. So um, if I was going to leave stuff or get rid of comics, it was not going to be the X-Men. So I kept a particular series of them, the 200 somewhere in there. Um, and so, yeah, Joey and Sean got into comics a ton. Yeah, our neighbors. Um, yeah, our neighbors from the, the, the cul-de-sac where you lived. And they were into it after you'd moved. And so interesting that you got into it because it just seemed like other people I met in life. Yeah. Other people I'd met in life too at that age, we were all like, hmm, comic books. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the thing with comic books now, since Marvel took over or since Disney took over Marvel and, you know, and I just like, I've been reading articles and I follow like nerd Roddick on uh, YouTube who basically posts stuff about, you know, anything Marvel, Disney movie, sci-fi and, uh, the fandom menace kind of started from there, but he's talking about how Marvel is really not in, they're investing so much into the movies and not the actual comic books themselves are going to force comic books to take another spill and maybe close a lot of comic books, which, which I'm not collecting anymore, but as kids, because everyone's so in front of a screen all the time, it's kind of sad to hear that if that's what's happening, you know, I mean, I guess it's paper and you're using paper products and, you know, save yeah. the earth, I guess, but. I know some people out there that will keep up the good work. They have freaking full bedrooms full of just comics and stacks like Brody from uh, Mallrats. You know, mm. do not I, touch unless you be touched. <laughs> you know, I still have that a huge box of all my Mad Magazines. Ah, yes. Old, original Mad Magazines and old box. I need to sleeve those, but yeah. Um, uh, God, so we had... so. Justin and I grew up some neighbors down the street from us. You couldn't have written it any crazier. They're from Shreveport, Louisiana. Oh, yeah. And uh, the guy's, the father's name was Bill Dollar. And his wife's name was Sherry. And she was a bitch. She was so, I don't know what, I don't know what. She's a proper Southern about. lady. She was properly spanking my butt uncalled. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. So Bill Dollar, Dollar Bill. So Bill and Sherry had three sons. Curtis, Robert, and John. Curtis had black hair. Robert had blonde hair. John had red hair. All different personalities, but all still strong and Southern. And we have a bunch of wild stories, but I have to say that, think about like where you learn what from. And those, from those brothers, I learned how to play chess. And I learned how to play Dungeons and Dragons. Because Oregon, rainy, but that, that's really young memories. I mean, five and six years old, seven years old, and you're learning about chess and Dungeons and Dragons. So even though those, they were hellions too, those three kids, but they were called, we called them the Dollar Boys. How perfect of like a title for a novel. It's like the Hardy <laughs> Boys, the Dollar Boys, getting into a bunch of shit trouble. But don't know what ever happened to them. I know Curtis passed away. I think he committed suicide, the oldest one. Uh, I think I got a hold of Robert and John when I was in high school and John had just gotten out of jail for something. They were back in Louisiana and they were so racist in my phone conversation. I never talked to him again. Yeah. I, in the beginning when I was younger, um, though, they were my bullies a little bit. Um, I, fucking, not, I taught them John I taught them. and Robert and shit out of them. 
and we got into it and there was a time period where I went into isolation from them. I kind of was like, stay the hell off my land. That's right. Little punk ass kids. And then eventually I think Robert and I um, became better friends as we got into like junior high and high school. We were in Boy Scouts together too. And yeah, they taught me Twisted Sister. Like I, they brought me in musically yes. and probably into like the glam metal of life, like probably yeah. sixth grade or so. Was I mean, definitely... you can't be more redneck than that. That's Shreveport, Louisiana right there. By the way, uh, listen, yeah. did I tell you this? That, okay, bef- right before I moved to North Dakota, you had given me a poster, a Twisted Sister poster and nice. some stickers, okay? I still have that poster. And D. Snyder rolled through Austin about six, seven years ago for this big thing. And he's friends with Kristen Gunn, this hot, blonde, tatted bartender at the Continental Club. She knew him. And I go, Kristen, I've got to get this old poster that I have signed. I'll meet you down there. And it was for the ROT rally. The, the um, I forget what ROT stands for, but it's the big motorcycle rally here in Austin. Okay. And so I go down there to get him to sign it. And they were, they all had left. Like I was five minutes uh, late. They all had rode away. And I was like, ah, oh, someday D Snyder, I'll have <laughs> you sign. He would, he would crack up laughing. I've never, it's one of those things that was like probably, you know, a knockoff print. So you'll never see it. He would be like, I've never seen this poster. Sign it. We have to get a photo or whatever, but. Um, probably carnival. Yeah. Oh God, totally carnival poster. Oh my yeah. God. Carnivals. <laughs> But yeah. I got to say, like, growing up in Oregon, like you say, what, what things I remember, like, I do miss, like, I have a sister that lives there in Bend now, and I miss Oregon. I miss the smell. How, that one thing, it's the smell. It's how clean it smells. It's the taste of the tap water. It's the smell of the air, so much oxygen, so many conifer trees, and then the, and then autumn and the, the fall rolls around, and it just smells like, crunchy maple leaves and like conifer trees and pine cones you could smell people burning the fires and it just smells so good i love that's what i remember about oregon when i move back like i when i move back i say that i'm gonna move back i don't know i might you know i love austin uh we haven't even got our story telling out of uh, this is gonna be a five-hour podcast yeah. <laughs> hold tight that's right um but yeah i do miss that and I, it's so funny smell is a big thing you think about all of your senses, all five of your senses. Like, what do you like about a human? I mean, you can see them, touch them. If you get crazy, you can taste them. But you can smell them. You know what I'm saying? You can hear them. And, and that's wherever you go. How, does your, how do you smell? What are you eating? You know, how does your car smell? Would you, did somebody spill a Coke on the floor two months ago? It smells a little moldy in here. That happened once in my Oldsmobile. Fucking one of my friends, oh. Frank, dropped a full 64-ounce 7-Eleven coke on the floorboard of a car and i never cleaned it properly in the real deep floorboards and man that motherfucker molded my car i had to, i basically sold the car because i couldn't handle the smell anymore anyway but north dakota has a smell too it's got a crazy beautiful i don't know just farmland smell the desert when i moved to palm desert for high school beautiful arid you know whatever beautiful desert flowers are in bloom uh, it's just gorgeous out there. Um, and then I moved to Texas and I love the spring flowers here. You've got blue bonnets and Indian paintbrushes and just crazy poppies will grow everywhere. They're great to look at, but right here in Austin, there's a pocket of what Indians would call 
all poison air. They didn't live here. When I say Indians, I mean Native Americans of the area, which is basically yeah. Comanche, Apache. They didn't really live in this area because it was so filled with pollen that your allergies would blow up like mine do. But when I go to see your sister in Fort Worth or I go to San Antonio to see my friend there, the air is clear and I can breathe again. I love that about Oregon though. I don't remember. <clears throat> my dad still lives out there. I don't really remember the smell. I guess I get had out there. The one smell that sticks with me always is New York City. Is coming up from like ah urine. Tends to, oh, it smells like pee and burnt nuts. Like <laughs> not nuts, but like like peanuts. Like that's On the, the corner, smell. the street. The yeah, street the street. Nuts? Like you come up from Penn Station, you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's piss and. Uh, Nuts. Street, street nuts. Piss and street but, nuts. That's the yeah. title. That's the fucking title of this podcast. The, 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 the stream podcast. That's going to title it in the description. Yeah. yeah that's the, probably the place where I remember the most distinct smell of growing up for sure. So you, we leave Oregon, you leave Oregon. Well, I'm looping it back down. Yeah. You're in North Dakota. Yeah. What was besides having a new stepdad, but the shock awful from Oregon to North Dakota. Cause awful. I've won- Oregon to Wyoming yeah well it was tough I mean you know my uh how old were you at the time 12 10 so 1985 wow that makes me 40,000 years old um one year older than that but it's it's really stunk because my dad really he if anybody knows divorce, you know, it sucks. And it's just, then you got the, you know, what happens to the, to the kids because you've got this, now you got this house, you got this house. My dad is on his fifth marriage right now. It's just really difficult. And my mom thought she married a good guy and he turned out to be a bad person. I have a ton of stories about that. Um, living on the farm, on the ranch we lived on, we had one neighbor. Uh, we would have six foot snow drifts. We'd get snowed in. They wouldn't let me go to the city for school. I had to go to the country school. I actually went to a little red schoolhouse called Eureka. 30 some kids, K through 12. Two rooms in a basement. Outside was a swing set and a tether ball and a flag. I mean, I would, man, it was rough. It was really, like, I know that sounds like quaint and, and I look back and it's fine, but I, I was the city kid coming into a very country bumpkin area. You know, this one kid, this one brother, he kept saying, boy, hey, boy. And I was like, if you say boy one more time, I'm going to blast you in the face. And I did. I knocked him huh. in the face because I was like, anybody else? Like, are you Southern? Or like, are you country people? And, and rednecks universal. Rednecks. I, <laughs> I did find out, though, like people, people are really – friendly in North Dakota, just like, just like Texas people and armed society is a friendly society. If everybody's armed, you don't talk shit. You go down to California, what's up? Well, the fuck, you know, it's like, what, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's just like, everybody here is very respectful and I do like that. Um, but, uh, but North Dakota, the four years of like your blood thickens, you know, you, you, you live with the wind chill, you get 60 below, and it's just cold and you're inside. And we were poor, you know, we, my dad made a ton of money as a kid before I was born and they had a nice house and a couple cars and they'd have people over for steak dinners. And my sister just remembers them having a ton of money. And then after that, it was like, my mom was working overtime just to keep microwave popcorn and Coke 
in the fridge is what I kind of lived on for a couple of years. But I made some great friends in North Dakota that I still talk to. I mean, a handful. I mean, like 20 or 30 people I still talk to. And all my mom's friends up there are super nice. Um, the winters were long, but when you get those long summer night summer nights, you know, where the sun wouldn't go down till 1030 because we were so high uh, on the equator, it would just, and it would just be like um, these beautiful yellow and orange sunsets that were just filled the sky. I really liked that. And there were just fields of, you know, all the farmland there was sunflowers and flaxen and I guess soy, not saffron. uh, And we had a, we had a, sunflower field next to us but i learned how to like reload shotgun shells in the shed i learned how to drive a three-wheeler which then led me to drive motorcycles i could ride a dirt bike with my dad in idaho um every summer i'd go to visit my dad and his wife marge in idaho we would um we'd do outdoor stuff like motor dirt bike riding and uh floating the river i was there remember floating the river yeah. Oh my God. Floating the river on inner tubes. That was super fun. And then they do this thing. Was it the snake river or the mouse river? Cause I, I get those mixed up between and Minot and Boise. Boise. I thought it was the Boise river. Okay. Maybe it was the Boise river. Yeah. Right? So there's a long river you could tube on, but at the time people were taking just wood before oh, yes. boogie boards were a thing. They would take wood. They'd cut this piece of wood flat on top, curving down straight back, painted a color. Then they'd throw a rope through the front of it up through with a PVC pipe. So it was like a handle of a water skier board. Then the rope would go, I don't know, 50 feet out. And then you'd attach it to the tree on the side of the fast flowing river. You'd get on the board and you just lean to the right and the board would shift out. And you basically boogie boarded tied to a tree in the middle of the river. And there's people all down the river doing it. They never, it was just, everyone was doing it. It was like, it was awesome. Yeah. Um, But talk about the freedom of going to, Idaho for my summer vacation for three months every year. I'd go to visit my dad and he franchised the Elmers there in Idaho. And I would, this is what I could do. He'd say, you can come with me to work. You could stay at home. Great. So I'd stay at home and watch HBO all day. Okay. And watching HBO all day, I got to see, this is where my love of stand-up comedy came in because HBO would host specials like Howie Mandel, Robin Williams, George Carlin, and then the Rodney Dangerfield stand-up specials, which would have Jerry Seinfeld, Roseanne Barr, Bob Saget, Jeff Nelson, and I record all these. And my love for stand-up comedy is still to this day my favorite thing. I'm constantly listening to podcasts, watching stand-up comedy. Love it. Nice. Um, or I could go to work with him. And if I was at work with him, I would be washing dishes, cracking eggs, stirring biscuits, or the third thing was, don't want to work today, and I would take a fishing pole or a bow and arrow or my wits about me, and I would just go out into Boise, Idaho, and I'd go shoot a bow and arrow in the park at these targets they had. I'd go fishing and never catch a thing. I'd go to the Army-Navy store and buy knives and sh- ninja stars, shurikens. Yeah. I would go to this little park. I mean, I would walk around everywhere by myself, which is another thing to this day, like who – everyone is so helicopter parenting, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I freedom. I did so much by myself, which another thing you talk about latchkey kids being okay, being by yourself in your house. I did so much and I have been by myself, even though I know tons of people I've been bartending for 20 years and I talked to everyone. I've got a couple different social media uh, things that I do, but um, I love being by myself. I feel comfortable. I've always been the new kid in town because 
I've lived so many places that I don't feel uncomfortable. I feel very comfortable adapting to a new place because I'm a very jeans and t-shirt looking person. That way people don't know what's going on in my head. But truly, if you just wear a jeans and t-shirt and you're polite to everybody, you can get by anywhere in any city. You can be fucking New York. and Where you from? Folk, you know, or be in Florida, man. Flip flops. Let's do Oxycontin. Take, you know, yeah. you know, be down here in Texas and have a pickup gun and just drink beer or whatever, you know. I remember two summers going to Idaho with you. Um, the second summer was basically on my way to Wyoming, moving to Wyoming. Um, one of them was uh, my sister was born and that was the, the hospital yeah. tried to kill my mom. We almost had to run back Don't you dare to, kill Mary. to Oregon. But I remember the boards on the water we cut out. And yeah, them I have and photos. It all together. Oh, I have a couple too. Um, we, we rafted one time, I think, your dad, Marge, myself, in an actual raft. And I wasn't paying attention and it shot me out the front of the raft. And I was like probably the most experienced raft person among us because of Mike, like I was going on raft trips yeah. all the time. I was floating in the river. So once I hit the water, I just didn't want to crack my head open on a rock, but I was fine. Oh, and so, but I mean, it was like, oh, I'm in the water. Like there's only two times I've ever been tossed out of a raft. That, that was, was one of them. And then the other time was with Mike, who's an excellent guidesman. And we went to knock a boat that was flipped over out of this, this water hole. And he went, he's like, I should have just left it there, but I thought I was being nice, you know, cause we were just about to pull out. And he, so my side gets sucked into the water hole, kind of drops us down. I go out and the other guy on the back goes out too. Well, I'm perfectly experienced in the water like that. And so like, I kind of pop up, I'm like life jacket on. I'm like, Oh, and the other guy that's sitting up front with me, just like, Oh my God, freaking out. I'm like, hold on, dude. I'll get in. If I can't, I'll just swim over to the side. And I was like, yeah. I popped in. But Mike's like, he never was so mortified. He's like, I've never tossed you out of a boat. Uh. I've, we've gone on some of those dangerous rides. And that spot right there wasn't that dangerous. But he's like, oh, my God. I can't believe I tossed you out. And oh, man. mom's like, I'll oh, my God, you tossed my son. And I was probably 20-something. But I was like. Always yeah. wear a life vest, even no oh, matter yes. how good you think you are. I yeah. listened to a podcast. And I can't remember if it was Cameron Haynes talking about a just seeing a couple you know the guy died but they they were they were guides they were river raft guides and they went on this hellacious thing well super cold they got thrown overturned and just screwed and the, the guy died anyway always wear your life kids um but yeah it's boise and the you brought up the army surplus store. Yeah, yeah. It's like yes, I had a new Pete store from there. Yeah, two Pete throwing Nancy. stars. Yeah. I had uh, I remember Army Legion hat with the flaps on the back. Oh yeah, Sweet. yeah. If you don't know what we're talking about, watch the movie European Vacation and uh, and Rusty, the kid who plays Rusty in that. He's a taller version of Rusty. He has one of those cats, cats, uh, hats, caps. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it looks like a baseball cap, but the flats run down the backside. Yeah, it like that. I remember that. There's a pictures of us. We did uh, Boise summer camp, Boise State, and we would do sports. Your parent parents signed us up. They signed tennis. you up to tennis. I think I got soccer, and yeah. I was a pretty good soccer player at the time. I was like kicking balls around these people. It was funny because I was a lot better than most people in the camp. 
And they're like, you should play soccer. And I was like, I play football, this sport, no. But I remember doing that kind of stuff. Shirts, sleep. Oh, did they have a water park there? Oh, yeah. wet, uh, wild waters. Wild oh, water. I got a story. I got blasted in the face. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. But yeah, I had a muscle shirt, half shirt. Yeah. But, you know. Got to show uh, off them muscles when you're yeah. 10. Uh, 10. Yeah. So, yeah, and the Elmers, they had a boat. They yeah. Had, loaded. And we yeah. went, we'd go boating all the time. I learned how to water ski. Yeah. Them. I remember, was it, was it Lake, was it Shasta? Mead, Mead? Shasta where'd we go? Mead. Lake Mead, Lake Tahoe, Lake Shasta, like not we having a houseboat. Yeah, we had a house, they had, so the Elmers, uh, Dale Elmer was the son of Walt Elmer, who was the, if anyone here knows Elmer's Pancake and Steakhouse, it's a franchise up in the Northwest and there is one in Palm Springs and there's one in Idaho, but it was a 24, uh, was it 24 hour diner? It was a, Big diner, and man, yeah. they're, they're known for their pancakes, German pancakes, giant omelets, and just all around uh, nice diner. And, um, and so Dale and the other brothers, Jim, and I forget the third brother, they were all very wealthy, and they always had these toys, boats, they raced cars, and on and on. And so, of course, my dad would uh, take us all on vacation with the Elmer, so we were always boating and and hiking and motorcycles and it was it was a blast we had a great time we would go out i remember on a big trip we had there uh there was a we fed deer right off the off the boat on the water on the show i have photos when trisha was feeding the deer we were feeding deer bread yeah oh i can't hear you your audio's off uh but um oh there you go there you go but yeah trisha remember trisha oh yeah so uh there were bats flying overhead at night. There was the bear that came out. We like, we have to take the houseboat away from the shoreline because the bear had gotten so, you know, a hundred you know, yards away. It's close enough for us. There was like 20 of us out there. And of course, all the parents were hammered. All yeah. the kids were just whatever. In fact, I went up into the, the top cabin of the houseboat. Didn't realize the science of it all, but all the windows were closed and all the sleeping bags were there at midday. I took a nap. All the windows were closed. I basically cooked myself, woke up, was completely dizzy, walked downstairs, said, I don't feel well. I, I either did throw up or felt like it, but I was totally heat stroke. And the parents, as drunk as they were, they took a beach towel, dunked it in the, the trash can, which was filled with ice and beer, dunked it in there, wrapped it around me to try and cool me down, then threw me in the lake <laughs> to cool me down. Well, I didn't die, so that's good. I remember it, you had to dive pretty deep. That was really warm water because it's probably 100 degrees when you'd be off out of the water, but you'd have to like get a running start, jump down at least 10 feet and hit the cold water. Yeah. And otherwise, the first 10 feet were lukewarm bath water. I wish yeah. I remember the lake, but that was a fun trip. I forgot Trisha. I remember Brian, but I didn't remember yeah. Trisha's name. Yeah. So summers in Idaho. So how long did that continue for? Like five, six summers? Four summers. So I lived in North Dakota for four years. And every summer I went to visit my dad in Idaho. And uh, yeah, Idaho was, Idaho was cool. I mean, I, the whole thing, any memory I have with my dad is bittersweet. Um, he reminds me of Elvis. My, yeah, my dad looked like, um, imagine if... Um, Matt, he, you know, Justin Trudeau looks for the prime minister of Canada. Yeah. 
So a cross between if Justin Trudeau and Elvis were mixed together, that's what my dad looked like. He was a, he's a giant man. He was six feet tall. He's got the biggest hands you've ever seen. He should have been a professional football player, but got his first wife pregnant at 18, and so he just became a working man. So, I, okay, you're living in North Dakota. You're in there four years, so you don't graduate high school there. You're your mom and stepdad divorced and you head for California? Yes. My, uh, my dad kept calling my, even though we were taking some serious abuse by this guy, Lou, he's dead now. He's the only person I'm like, I'm glad you did. Huh. I would have beaten the shit out of him if I, like at this point in time, uh, but he's dead now. It's good. Applause. You got Definitely what he applause. deserved. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that's terrible to say and I, it's okay though. I, I'm fine with it. Anyway, so my, the whole time we're up there, you know, uh, as a kid, I was straight A student and, and top three in all my sports. And uh, um, my dad would call my mom and say that she wasn't raising me right because I cut my own hair and I gave myself a mohawk and I pierced my ear with a pin, you know, and he's like, oh, you're not raising him right. She goes, okay, John, he's going to be a grown, he's a young man now. He's going to high school. Uh, we're going to move to California. He's going to live with you, and I'm going to go take care of my aunt who won't allow kids in her house anyway. It's from San Bernardino because she's older now, and she needs someone to take care of her. So my mom moves to San Bernardino and takes care of her aunt while she drops me off in Palm Desert with my dad. So I go from rainy Oregon to snowy North Dakota, grew out my mullet. I had a nice Kentucky waterfall, you might say, North Dakota waterfall, I guess. Um, and I moved to Palm Desert, California, which is 125 in the summer. And people in California's mentality versus the people in North Dakota mentality is so different that it was like culture shock. Um, I moved in with my dad, who's now divorced his third wife, Marge. And my older half-brother, John, had just passed away, which is a whole other story. You know, he had sobered up, went to Tulsa, uh, Oklahoma was sober for two years. Met a girl, started doing drugs again. So he went to California, sold his truck for a big bag full of cocaine and flew it back at the time. They didn't find it or whatever because that was way back then. And, and they said he overdosed, but he also could have been murdered by his girlfriend's brother who worked with him at a construction site because they found the house in disarray and everything had been stolen. It's a big thing. If it was my son, I would have gone back to investigate the whole thing. That's a whole other story, which I could tell you right now if you want. But if we're just going through timeline, we'll get back to Palm Desert. So I go to high school in Palm Desert, and I, uh, my dad is never home. He's struggling to turn himself from a restaurateur into a real estate agent, into the head of the office. And uh, in the meantime, you know, my brother just passed away. He's single, and he was just out chasing pussy. He was never home. Uh, so for the next four years, I basically raised myself in a little duplex with a pool and I microwaved potatoes and canned chili. And I went from straight A student uh, in a football team to quitting that. Nobody cared. And I felt, I felt guilty telling my mom what was going on because she raised me really well. She, the whole reason I'm a good person today is because she's a sweetheart and a positive person. She's just like, you know, no one else can make you happy except for you. No one else in the world can make you happy. You're the only person that can do it. 
Never forget that. If you have a bad day, it's nobody else's fault. That's it. It's your choice. How are you going to live? And she's still that way. She's 79 and she's fucking awesome. And I, I live my life like that. She's very much in my heart. When people in your family pass away, they really, she's still alive and she's in my heart. But I really truly believe that like, you know, when cash passes away, he's not truly ever gone. He's always going to be in my heart, everything he's taught me. So, uh, so I basically raised myself and all, and my life turned from football straight A student to not getting any sleep, uh, learning about music, uh, you know, getting into the theater department and because of charisma and, uh, love of imagination and, and sci-fi fantasy or movies or whatever, I started doing little acting roles in, in, in the drama class in the theater class in school. Uh, I met some friends who asked me to sing for their band. And so we had a high school band that, that lasted about a year or two after college um, or not after college, but after high school. But then I moved to Pasadena. So we basically broke up. Of course, all the other bands became famous and semi-famous. I went to high school with Josh Homme, who's from Queens of the Stone Age and them Crooked Vultures and Jesse Hughes from Eagles of Death Metal. Uh, guys from Fatso Jetson, uh, the Yeah Yeah Yeahs. I know that Ahmad Wasif has a band called Alaska. He plays with the Yeah Yeah Yeahs. My buddy Mike Torres, he had a band called Vermicious K, which is now called Get Set Go. But um, my high school was filled with have and have nots. And that was very strange. To move to California to Palm Desert where there's 280 golf courses and it was a retirement community and everyone has a pool in their backyard. Um, the have-nots were there working for the haves. And the haves, their kids went to my high school where people were freshmen in high school, 15 years old with a driver's permit, getting a brand new BMW. Damn. I didn't even get my driver's license. I was 18 because I had no money because my dad was struggling and gone and working. And I was busing tables at a restaurant at the golf course. My first car was $800. It was a 1982 two-door stick shift Mazda. And I remember replacing the brake pads myself. Uh, I remember going to a concert with like five of us in that car with no brakes. We drove to San Francisco and we saw the Grateful Dead at Shoreline. And the next day we saw Fish at the Greek Theater. And we parked in an alley at the Greek theater. My, my brakes go, doop, doop, doop. They heat it up, locked. I go, well, folks, after the show, if they don't unlock, we're not going anywhere. We'll just leave uh. the car here. But I remember that's a whole other story. That was crazy. But I met um, the one thing about living in Palm Desert. I mean, there's tons of things. Joshua Tree's right there. You know, I, I was, I, first time I did mushrooms, first time I did acid, first time I slept with a girl, it was all in high school. Yes. Um, we would go out and uh, I do feel very lucky that I got a chance to meet, meet the people in my high school. A lot of people say, I'm not friends with anybody in high school. Well, I may have two or three friends from high school. I'm friends with like my entire high school because back then we didn't even have a half, we didn't even have a cafeteria. We ate outside in like 120 degree weather under the shade. But it's like they didn't have a cafeteria. Since then, they've demolished Palm Desert High School, kept the football stadium, and made it a completely new indoor, air-conditioned high school. <laughs> Not several bungalows with AC units. They were all, oh, my God. But what, the one thing we all had, whether you were a goth or a jock or a nerd or a musician or a, whatever you were categorized in, 
because we were all stuck there and because it was a retirement community full of seniors who didn't want kids around, there was nothing for us to do. So eventually everyone got to know each other because we're all at the same place and everyone, we, it was like a, a community of people who are still in contact with each other, whether you're no matter what state they move to or city or what you're doing. If you look at my Facebook feed, for example, there's like 250 people on there from my high school of which we all still communicate. And it's great. Like I've got you, Joey Miller are my friends from Oregon. And I've got about my middle school friends, like 20 or 30 friends of mine from North Dakota, who I just, I still love to death. They're such good people and they go through their ups and downs. I still, I write Christmas cards every year. I've got about, I'm up to about 200 Christmas cards a year to my friends and my friends in North Dakota get them. And then it comes to high school and I've got just so many friends from high school. And then I go to college in Pasadena. My dad basically, there's so many stories. I mean, I don't even... How long we could make it? How long is this podcast? I mean, okay, keep going. I can tell you, like, it was crazy. Like, because I was kind of left to my own devices, I just gave up on school, started ditching school, uh, got caught smoking pot, and just laughed at the principal's face. I'm just like, so you're trying to tell me you're going to suspend me, which means I don't have to go to school. <laughs> this is great. All right, I'll see you in a few years when it becomes legal. And here it is. And, uh, but yeah, I went, I, I really screwed up. Like basically I look at that period of my life and I, I look at that period, which then led to my twenties and, uh, and I've been talking to my, my mother and my sisters about this lately. Um, which by the way, my dad had a, a son and two daughters from his first wife and then had my sister and me. So he's got five kids, but from two different people. My brother passed away when I was 10 or 11 and, I still keep in contact with my sisters, but I look at my life and because it was so chaotic, I look at it now from an adult's perspective and I never wish what happened to me to anyone else. Like I, if I look, I was, I was, a, they wanted, like when I was in, in elementary school, they wanted to skip me in grades because I was, in, I went to Montessori school for three years before I went to kindergarten. So I knew how to read and write in cursive, math, everything done. They wanted to skip me. I would have been in your grade, <laughs> but because of the chaos in my family, which I could go on and on about, um, they decided not to do that. But I would never, if I had kids, which I don't, and this is kind of the reason why I watch my dad go through five wives. I watch all the turmoil. Like I see all these people who got married right out of high school. And then what happens? It's just a couple of kids and everyone just kind of abuses themselves and abuses each other because they don't know how to be an adult and they get divorced and they remarry and they get divorced and it's just all this trauma. And I never wanted to do that. So I never, I was never looking to get married or have kids because I didn't want to fuck it up, you know? And, and that's, I'm still single. Like my last relationship was three years ago and Allison was, gorgeous inside and out. I love her. I love her laugh. I love the sound of her voice. And her daughter was eight and I was with her for a year and a half and I would have got, I would have married her, but man, she just would get so jealous when we would go out. She would throw fits. She would think that every woman in the room was her competition and she would get drunk and have fits and, th and throw fits in places. Most, so many times 
and it would cause arguments about nothing. And so. Good thing you didn't marry her, but you didn't have to have that for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, and look, I want her to be happy. I, I, am oh, yeah. I going off subject? Listen, I can go off on no. tangent after tangent. I, I. Palm Desert now, high school, hot, super hot, super hot. We under, I, I understand where you were at in a lot of this, except for, well, at least moving to Wyoming, that kind of like you moved to North Dakota. Um, I was never, I did not like Laramie, Wyoming. When I moved here, uh, big fish, small pond type deal. I wasn't the big fish, but there were lots of big fish here. And um, I glorified Oregon so much. So I did stuff to basically was like, I got to do whatever I can to get out of here, which was play sports, um, dive into music, um, just like put, listening to the radio, stuff like that. My best friend in high school was bass player. Not, I wasn't partying. It was like looking for scholarships to get out of this joint. And by the time I got to my senior high school, it wasn't that bad. Like I had a serious girlfriend. I was yeah. a star varsity athlete. Um, College was right on the corner. I thought I was going to get recruited to go play football and such. Um, that was like a definite kick in the reality dome. Um, yeah. I was good in Wyoming, but not good enough to play elsewhere. And I, I got recruited and stuff, and I'd go, and they'd be like, well, here's your competition. It'd be some six-foot, you know, five dude, and I wasn't grown anymore. So I ended up at the University of Wyoming, which I didn't love probably until midway through. And – I was fortunate enough that my parents did, they both divorced and there were some difficult times during the beginning years and for a long time. Then they both found significant others that they've been married to since. And so it was, it was I was fortunate to have step parents that were cool yeah. and were cool to me and were never like, I'm going to be your new mom or dad or whatever. They never yeah. tried that enough discipline to, to be a parent enough to be like um it's up to you other parent because you're the real parent and so yeah my dad was not happy that i moved here from to from gresham oregon sure a lot of the same stuff your dad said to your mom in when she moved to north dakota was the same thing what my dad said he hated it he i think he hated it until probably somewhere five six years into my career now they came to visit and he's like wow you're important and you've got a good job and Laramie's good for you. And I think he really came around to liking Laramie, but that's, that took forever for my dad to like, he was very bitter about the place. And I understand his son, his daughter end up in Wyoming. It's, and it's not an easy place to live. 7,000 feet above sea level. Your winners like North Dakota. Yeah. I played in a football game, negative 30. And, and so that kind of, I'm going to move back to Oregon kind of mentality came around and went because it's too cloudy there for me. I love the sun. <laughs> yeah, once you realize there's a sun, there's yeah. a, what, what is that bright thing in the sky? It's fantastic. And I moved to <laughs> New York for a couple of years. Fantastic. And Warm. saw four seasons. I was like, yeah. wow, this is fall? Like yeah. fall started and stopped like it should. Yeah. Winter, all that stuff. I was like, Wyoming, it's like snow. It's always windy. Like if it stops blowing something scary is coming. Like it's the calm before the storm, but yeah, it's winning. But the summer times, like you said, in North Dakota, I can't, is the best time to be here. We are 930 probably 
sunset. Not, mm. not as late. We're not further up on the, the glow, but just perfect temperatures. Not that 103 in like the desert or Ugh. anything like that. Uh, not humid like New York and Oregon were, but just this is kind of the perfect summer. Everybody's like, oh, I love Laramie Summers. I was like, me too, because you can sit outside and not be punished unless mosquitoes are around. They punish you. But yeah. <laughs> other, I mean, otherwise, it's great. I can't believe I still, I, can, I moved back to Laramie. It's a, such a shock to me. But I got a job at the University of Wyoming. And I remember taking the job and going five years. And I'm out. I'm going to Oregon, going to California. Not going to live. And that was 17 years ago. Now in a house, have a great girl. Yeah. Years, have a cat. Yeah. It's treated me well. Yeah. Shockingly that I probably didn't give it the it's fair fairness coming in. Cause I remember like leaving Boise and, and when I was what 13 and pulling into Laramie, Wyoming at night and going, that's it. That's the whole town. There's nothing. Laramie's in a Valley. It's surrounded by mountains. It's not an easy place to get in and out of as far as the highways go, but just seeing it and going, wow. And I, my friends and I always joke, there's never a good angle to drive into Laramie because it's just uh, trailer parks on the outside of Laramie, like all these beat up houses. I mean, Laramie is a great town, but we're like, man, this is not the best view yeah. to check out Laramie from. But so you graduate high school, sounds like barely, because you were barely there. Um, you're in college. Pasadena. They wanted me out. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they wanted me out to go enjoy the rest of my life. I really was lucky that I graduated. I was really glad to get out of there but i went like i said i went from a straight a student top of everything to just like i i just gave up i gave up if nobody else cares i don't care anymore but i i'll say this like here's the difference my dad's advice growing up was this get a haircut wear a tie and go get a job thanks dad here's my mom's advice now i mean she's got so much great wisdom but um one of the things was when i started football in uh, school i came home and the first day of practice i didn't go she goes, wait, what are you doing home? I don't, I don't want to go to school. I don't want to go to football practice. I just, I, I don't know. I don't want to. I, she goes, look, why don't you go back tomorrow? Stay. Try it out for two weeks. After two weeks, if you don't like it and you don't make friends, then you can quit. Okay. So what happened? I went back the next day, football practice. Sorry, I'm late. They said, great. We're glad to have you practice for two weeks. I was like, wow, I am a lot stronger than I thought I was. I'm a lot faster than I thought I was. And I was strong and fast for a little kid, but I was like, wow, man, this is great. I made my friends. I stayed in football. I joined the wrestling team that season then as well, because I didn't have the $800 a year for the hockey pads. So I singlet, some shoes and some ear pads, some ear head guard. I was like, oh, great. And I became a fairly decent wrestler. You know, all the rest of the kids had their older brothers teaching them all the great locks. I just had enough stamina to get second, you know, a couple first, but mostly second place. Um, but that one life lesson right there, try it out for two weeks. After two weeks, if you don't like it, then you can quit. And that has stuck with me my whole life. Always say yes. Always say yes. It's like that movie, Yes Man, which I never saw, but I get it. I got to do it. Don't need to see it. Always say yes. Why say no? I, I just I wrestled in sixth, seventh, 
then moved. And so I was like, I'll wrestle in the eighth grade in Oregon and Wyoming here. Um, I get on the team and first match, pin the dude in like 30 seconds, like yeah. tournament, bam, bam, down. Like, and the coaches were like, wow, some wrestling savant we have here. Mm-hmm. Chicken pox, rest Boom. of the season. Done. From that guy? From that no, kid? I don't know if it was from the kid, but it just went from the mat. Dude, yeah. I got staph infection from some mat in North Dakota. Out, but lost weight. And so when I came back, I was not in the division I was in before. I was in a low, lighter weight, but I was still wrestling against the guys at the higher, the higher weight that I was, I was used to wrestling against them and getting warmed up. And I go, and it's not his fault, even though he was kind of a dick to me throughout high school and everything. Uh, my take my fingers on my left hand, my smallest two fingers, and try to put them at my wrist. Like I'm on my you know hands and knees, and it just they get bent back in a weird way. So I'm all swollen up, everything's jacked up. Mm. I go to the doctor, and I'm like, hey, you know this is I got I'm hurt, and they check me out, and they're like, don't wrestle for two weeks. Season's over in a week. Can't wrestle for two weeks. I go in to the wrestling room. I show the coach. I'm all splinted up. I can't wrestle for two weeks. I hand the note. And he's like, season's over in a week. I was like, I'm aware of this. And he goes, I think you should tape it up and wrestle. And I sat there for maybe five more minutes and walked out, never wrestled again. All his fault. All his fault. I'm not, I never wrestled again because he wanted me to wrestle injured and I wasn't having it and I knew better and I didn't like it enough that I was going to be like, yeah, it sounds like a good idea. I'm going to mm. wrestle in some pain. And so I later on had him for a football coach and I run him to him in life now, but I later, and I eventually wrestling wasn't for me. I became a downhill skier, raced that. that awesome. Fun then. Well, here's <laughs> then the thing, though, but, your, but your parents, they, they support you and they promote everything you do. And I will say this did. to anyone who's listening. You were a child once and you might, and hopefully you'll have kids someday, Right. Children, the way I see it, and I don't have any, so I'm not telling you how to raise a kid, but I can say from looking at a human being, it's like a star. It's like a ball of energy that shines in every direction. And as a parent, you look at that shining star and you see what direction it's going and you see what colors it has. And then you see what it really feeds off and it likes. And you take it and you harness that light and you focus the beams in a direction. So you go, oh my God, my kid really likes, even if it's the drums or the cello or it's books and writing or it's math and engineering or it's acting or it's tools or it's a a handful of things. You go, oh my God, let's do a lot of this. And you invest your time into taking that beautiful sun just filled with energy and you focus the beams of light, almost as if you're focusing, you take your hands around a basketball and you're harnessing the sun and you focus those beams of light. So when you let it go, it knows exactly where it wants to shine and exactly how to shine. And that is the negligence that happened with me as I was younger, as I was a very smart kid with all this energy and all these things I wanted to do with a loving mother and an absent, negligent father with all this negative shit that happens. So it's just one big supernova with no light to focus. And for between I was teenage years and my 20s, it was just wild time. 
where it should have been harnessing this young mind to move forward in the proper direction it should be going to then get to where I am now. I love who I've become. It took me a long time to train myself to get to where I am now. Uh, I feel very lucky to, to get here now. Is that Carl the cat meowing behind you? No, Tia's home. Oh, does she meow? <laughs> oh, yeah, meow. <laughs> Let's see where I'm at. Is she meowing? Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very interesting when you, when you see like, oh, my kid's good at this because when I played football, when I wrestled, when I was doing these plays, when I was in my band, yeah. I never remember my dad. I never remember. My mom was too busy working to put food on the table, but I, well, if he was bitching because she wasn't raising me, right? Where was he? It was this total negligent thing where, negligent thing where you know what? If nobody else cares, why should I care? And that's what happened. I just, I lived my life for years. Hey, if nobody else cares, I don't care about any of this stuff. I'm not focused on it. I don't care about it. And I started doing drugs and I started drinking and I gave up acting and I gave up singing in a band. Uh, I gave up all my hobbies and I stayed alive until I was about 24. And when I was 24, living in Los Angeles, I got a gig painting the inside of a bar called the Martini Lounge on Hollywood Boulevard. They offered me a barback position there because I was strong enough to lift kegs and I had a personality, I was an idiot. Then they found out that I was smart enough to like work and I asked them, can I start bartending? A few months later, start bartending. Finally, I find a job because I like to stay up at night where I can talk to people and have cocktails and promote the party. And, uh, and I've been bartending for 20 years this year um, until, of course, I got let go because of the whole COVID quarantine. In fact, I just had a job at a private nightclub on the east side of Austin with full benefits, medical, dental, vision, free meal. Everyone was cool. I'm a positive guy, so everything's great. I actually haven't had anything to drink in what, 308 days, did I say? Uh, I can't hear you right now, by the way. Testing, one, two. Congratulations. Oh, Sorry. Thank you. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, you know, time jump, I went to, uh, I went back to help I say all this bad stuff about my father. He's on his fifth wife. When he divorced his fourth wife, I stopped talking to him for four years. I was done. He told me on the phone, don't you tell me what I should and shouldn't be doing. And I said, hey, and he's telling me to fuck off. Last don't you fucking tell me. And I was like, you're going to speak to me like that. After everything you've done, after divorcing your wife, and not even telling us. And now all of a sudden you're about to marry another woman just weeks later. Go fuck yourself. Go find your own friends. And I threw my cell phone against the wall and I didn't talk to him for four years. And I would have never spoken with him again. Well, you know, just due to some other family members trying to reconnect us, I, I talked to him four years later and we had a relationship where I told him, you know, at one point I told him, you know what it's like not having a, a, a dad or a parent in your life? I said, do you remember Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom? When the rope bridge goes across the cavern and Indiana Jones got his machete about to cut the rope, there's two hand railing ropes that hold on to ropes that go down to the pieces of wood. And there's Indiana Jones. Well, your parents are the right and left rope. There's your mom on one side of the rope, dad on the other side, holding the planks of life to be an adult going across that river. 
And when you cut one of those pieces of rope, you take away one of those parents, you don't have one rope. You're totally clinging on to the other parent to hang on for dear life. And you're not even looking down to see the planks ahead of you. You have no option to see that because you're just focused on just trying to learn what you can from one parent amid all that chaos. And that's what it's like not having you there. And he looked at me. I was like, what the fuck? Wow. Um, so what happened? He married a woman who he didn't, he, he just, I don't know what he saw in her. And uh, none of us, he didn't vet her. I didn't, none of us vetted her. And she turned out to be an alcoholic. And she's such a good closet alcoholic. Like I taught Anakin school and she's having like booze hound. So he has a stroke in the middle of the night and he's too bullish to let her call 911. So it was really bad. He lost his legs. He lost his eyesight. He eventually gained the use of his legs back. He gained his eyesight back, but because he wasn't given the proper medication, his dementia is pretty bad and he's, not getting any better. So my sister uh, asked me to go out and help. So with this negligent father, I fly out. I leave Austin, Texas last year and I fly out and I live with them for 10 months. And I help out with the drunk wife and the dementia-laden dad and I just help it out. Throw away a bunch of shit, streamline, cook for them, make him lose 20 pounds, trying to teach them how to work a ketogenic diet to decrease the inflammation in his brain to help with the dementia. But I would leave, and good cop, bad cop, she'd let him drink. I'd come back after two days of being gone, and he'd be dumb. He'd just be dumb. I said, okay, I've done my job. Um, but it stressed me out so bad, uh, as well as a few other things that I was, I started drinking really heavy, and I was, and I, I realized now I'd been drinking every night for 20 years and I got to the point where drinking a half a bottle of vodka at night was normal. And I didn't realize it from the outside looking in, but that stressed me out so much. I, I said much, I said, um, I'm going to quit drinking for a month. And that turned into, you know what? I never want to wind up like them. They reverse mortgage on the house. She spent all their money. They have $20,000 left. She's an alcoholic at 81. He's got dementia at 80. They're stuck there. They're screwed. And for a negligent dad who caused so much chaos, I can't just, I can't do it. I can't be there. But I also don't want to end up, end up like them. And I quit drinking on May 31st last year. I said, I'm going to start drinking again when I make $40,000 in my checking account. Simple, right? At this point in my life, I should be making 80 to 100 grand a year. No problem. And I don't, I don't, I haven't made it yet. So I'm still not drinking. And I've come to realize that, well, not only alcoholism running my family, but I feel like I was under a spell because I didn't know any different. That's what it's like. I feel like I was under a spell because I was just, and I feel like I was doing drugs in my early, late teens and early twenties for years, which I quit the hard stuff around my early thirties and was just smoking weed and smoke, smoking weed to me is nothing. Eating edibles, weed is fantastic. If you haven't tried it, enjoy yourself. Okay. It's you're fine. But, states uh, have it legalized. Yeah, it's fine. It's really good. And then learn your Indica and Sativa. Definitely. Like I'm a Sativa guy. I like thinking Indica. I, I have no problem. I don't even like sleeping. I guess that's why, but, um, but I feel like I was under a spell. Um, now I lost my train of thought. What was I saying? Sorry, I've drank so much in my whole life and done so many drugs, I lose what I'm saying sometimes. But, oh, well, this is what, this is what it is. I, I talked to Tanya about it, my sister, and I said, you know what? I think that in my late teens and early 20s, 
subconsciously, I was so upset and angry with my dad for everything he had done that I took it out on myself. And I said, if nobody else cares, then why do I care? And that's when it started. And then it became habit. And now that I've been sober and I feel so good, waking up every day without a hangover, which would lead me to be depressed, stressed, and riddled with anxiety, I never knew that that's why. It's because every single day I was hungover. Every single day, I just thought it was my life. And now that I've been sober for this long, I'm like, I get in the shower and I'm like, oh my God, I still feel good. Every day I was getting in the shower going, oh my God, I got to go to work. I got all this shit going on. And, and now I feel so, I can't believe I'm not stressed about all these little things. We're in quarantine right now. I'm not freaking out. I got a little bit of money. I, I, I got everything I need in my apartment. I, I'm not stressed and I feel so good. Um, to anybody who suffers from depression or anxiety or stress, if you can hold yourself to just one month of not drinking, you might see what I'm talking about. And if you hold yourself for a couple months after that, you will definitely feel it and you'll realize maybe what I went through because I want, I love drinking. I love alcohol. I love the taste. I love how I feel. Love drinking. But it's the next day that I lived with every day for so long that I don't know. I feel really good, man. And I still smoke weed. I love it. I, I haven't smoked yet today. I wanted to make sure that um, I wasn't too high for this stream. <laughs> well, <laughs> Sometimes I get a little high, man, but I don't feel over bad. You know, I don't, nothing happens. Nothing bad ever happens. We, I mean, it sounds very parallel. Our lives, like you became a bartender. I was a DJ, bartender, bounced for a long time. And it was like I left. I had a career, television. I, I got, try to focus on that. Then I get a job back in Laramie, Wyoming and we're out all the time. We're drinking a couple days a week. I'm like, well, how did I, how can I um, support this drinking? I'll become working the bar again. Yeah. And so I did. And I, I applied to be a bouncer and the manager of the bar was like, you're a DJ. And I was like, yeah, it's been a couple of years. And she's like, you're a new DJ. And then I became a bar DJ and it was that drinking in my 30s, four days, five days a week. And talk about packing on pounds. Yeah. yeah the hangover, the endless hangover. Mm -hmm. Tired, like you're always tired. And um, your days are your nights <laughs> because you're sleeping. Mm -hmm. And I had another job and everything, but I mean, it was, I was reborn a college kid, but without having classes to keep me in check. And so, just, I thought when I'd watch people leave and get sober or like, you know, their jobs and go on different jobs, I'd be like, oh, what a loser. Oh, you, your tolerance sucks ass. Yeah. Now. And then I did it. And moving into my current house, there where there's no bars close by and I'm walking distance and we didn't have, we didn't have Uber or taxis then. And I wasn't drinking and driving because I had a DUI in my past. So it, I just was like, I won't drink. And then all that stuff started coming back a lot, waking up and just being like, Oh, this has gone wrong in my life. I'm going to turn to the bottle. And it was just not a choice anymore. And I, I, I pushed through a lot of my own issues trying to be sober. 
and it works. And I barely drink now. Our house is, has a ton of alcohol. I could drink anytime I want, but um, it's not a thing anymore. And also I feel I make bad decisions sometimes and my mouth gets ahead of me. And then yeah. I regret the next yeah. day going what I say or do. Yes. You know? And now it's just like, well, T and I in our house. So it's going to affect her. So I'm yeah. like, yeah, no need to get she's so it. sweet. God, yeah. to say one terrible slip up with her, it'd be like, oh, she's so, so sweet. And so I'm just like, I'm not going to put myself in that situation. And then quarantine, yeah, kind of, I've been very comfortable with my own. My mom said, you're entertained by your own shadow. And it's very been very true since I was a kid. And that's fine. And it's easy. And I don't need alcohol to get it done. I have lots. I'm a TV guy. I work in the industry for a yeah. long time. So I'm very, if it's bad, I'll still watch it kind of guy, especially with movies. I'm a very much like really bad movies and musicals. Oh, that like, it all started with like Popeye. Yeah. Popeye. Popeye. Yeah. And then I think we had the, going back to talk about the album, Sergeant Pepper, Lonely Hearts Club Band. Yeah. But it was BG's Peter Frampton, that movie. And mm. Steve Martin was in it. And I remember we being big Steve Martin's fans. Yeah. And so like that kind of got me into that. And it's been interesting, the parallels, because you were like, I got into drama. And we didn't keep in contact through this period. We didn't have emails or cell phones or phones. I mean, there would be big chunks of time we didn't talk. And not by like, we hate each or anything, you and I. But the next thing I know, you're in Boston, I'm in New York. Or, you know, you know. so eventually now the world is a lot smaller with Facebook and and the yes. internet stuff, we can keep up with each other. But there were just interesting parallels from growing up literally on the same almost street, yeah. same woods as yeah. I call it, to yeah. what we went on in life. Because I think our generation was raised by divorced parents that one of them became that parent that we hung on to, you know, that one mm -hmm. side of the rope. And the other one, the rope was gone. Mm -hmm. And maybe they tried or didn't try, um, depending on your parents were, but we had a lot of freedom. And that led to these hover parents that our generation, our friends have to be these hover parents because we were left to run a wild. And so now you get parents that practice. Yeah. I crack up. Like I see my, ask my friends who are parents. I was like, do you go watch your kids practice soccer? They're like, oh yeah. And I'm like, why? Like my parents dropped me off of practice. That was a good time to get stuff done or any sort of practice. They were there for the games. They were supportive. Yeah. In that aspect of it. But they're like, no, we'll get, we'll get shunned. We'll get like yelled at for not being at our child's practice. And I'm like, that's a bit much. Your kid's got to grow up. And like, yeah. I'm like, remember when we used to go to do this and this? And they're like, yeah, that's why I watch my kid all the time. And I'm like, you got, they got to learn some lessons. Yeah. You know, they got to have some freedom. And so we're benefits of that freedom. And it kind of, now we're in our forties and we're going, re-exploring now we got some time in our hands mm -hmm. what happened and now i got these podcasts i'm going so tell me about your life what yeah. happened back then and what's defined us to make us you know 40 year old men you know and to get to this point or 40 year old people the other people on my podcast but what's defined us what have we seen and now since we're in this great big pandemic that i have a student tech that worked for me when it started happening he's like have you faced anything like this before in your life and i was like no 9-11, because I lived in New York, a little bit, the fear of it, but 
We found the bad guy. We knew the bad guys were. People stopped dying. <laughs> we found the bad guy. Yeah. Like, we, if people stopped dying, it was like, this, was it 14,000 people have died in the United States so far? And a couple, a couple months? That's just ridiculous. Like, from something you can't see. And so it's a different psyche and we're built for it. Generation X we're built for it. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I was looking at the stats from the H1N1 and it was like from April, 2009 to August, 2010, the stat was, they were trying to compare like, this is all horseshit. What, why are we doing this now? Well, the stats from 2009 to 2010, which was a full year had, there was only 12,000 deaths and there wasn't nothing shut down. Well, that was in a year. So the deaths that are right now are just in these past couple of months because it got out of hand and it did get out of hand. And um, whether it's caused by the eating of bats at a wet market, which I totally disbelieve, I really believe it's from the bio lab in Wuhan. That's what I believe. Whether it was on purpose or an accident, I think it was a, from a bio lab. I think that it was just like something that got out. That's what I think. Have you ever read The Andromeda Strain by Michael Crichton? I read that in high school. It's pretty neat. I've heard the name. My yeah. theory of it is the earth is booting us in oh, the yeah. best way possible. Um, because we're organisms of the, of the earth. Not vice, the earth is not our bitch. We're the bitch to the earth. Like, and people don't get that. And so when you pump enough poison into the earth, like we keep doing, it's going to kick back. It's tried with tornadoes. It's tried with earthquakes. It's tried with a lot of disease too. And we seem to beat it, but now we can't. And the earth's just thinning out us because it, we really are overtaxing it with a bunch of crap we put out there. Whether it came out of the lab, you know, or, or it came from the bat, but I think it's the earth's way of saying there's too many of you guys messing this shit up. We got to thin it out. And it's sad. I don't want to see people die. And I don't think this is the way we need to learn our lesson about treating the earth better, but at least hopefully some lessons get learned in the understanding of science, you know, that there could be bioweapons, like you just said, it's possible. Um, but we have to learn from this experience and not, be like, okay, it's over in July. I just don't see it that quickly. We don't, we're not, no. we don't have the. No, but here's the thing. Yeah. Do your grocery stores have the plexiglass in front of their tellers yet? No, but we're wearing masks now. Okay. So if I go down to HEB right now, at first it was gloves, then it was masks, then it was a thing of plexiglass. Now the whole thing from where you put your food down is all plexiglass in between you and the teller. Wow. Okay. And are they going to take it down? Well, remember when they put up the, the bulletproof glass at banks? I don't think so. In fact, just like all the restrictions that happened after the Patriot Act was passed, you have to have a catalyst and then you pass some shit. So they passed the Patriot Act after 9-11 and a couple other things uh, like the TSA. They want to know where you're at at all times. Where you're at, where you're going, they want to they want to push like this inoculation, basically this this what is it immunization cure or whatever. I'm like, 
what is going on here? What, this is what I see. Follow the money. Sure. If nothing changes and the economy comes back, great. But what's going to happen? I mean, first of all, all these businesses are going to close. Does that mean the banks are going to own everything? So the banks get a bailout in 2008 or whatever, and we don't? So they, can, they get to own everything. We basically own nothing. It's a couple of wealthy families that basically own everything. Who's behind blah, blah, blah. You can go down any conspiracy trail you want, but really just follow the money. And that's where you're going to get your answer or get killed looking for it. That's it. I'm a guru of distance learning delivery at the University of Wyoming. I use Zoom. I've been working in the field a lot. And I'm not ready as a person to be an online life. I don't mind it. I understand why why we're doing it now. I get it. But I I want to live a life of being around people, not in masks, not every education things delivered online, like in person. I'm, 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 I'm liking that. This is okay for now. I understand right. what to be done. But it's got to go back. Otherwise, they're going to try and push you to stay the same. That's the thing. They're going to yeah. try and... Uh... They're going to try and pass laws and they're going, to, they're going to tighten it up even further. They're going to try to. Like we as human beings have to say, no, we have to go back to normalcy. You know, don't. We have to, but we have to figure out like next time we better be prepared because there's going to be another virus outbreak again. We just got to be ahead of it next time. I mean, like how do we prepare for it? We can't. Yeah, just, don't fire the response team. Stuff like that. Um, yeah, uh, I, and I'll tell everybody I st- on every podcast, every radio show I do, you listen to the CDC and the world health organizations. They're going to give you the best information yeah. on how to act and anybody else take with a grain of salt, right. do research, but those two are the ones to listen to. Yeah. We gotta be my, prepared. my sister works for one of the biggest hospitals in Southern California. She's the head of HR there actually. And she, I just listened to her. And I look at that CDC website you can go to, and it just shows the scan of the map, and it's fine. Yeah. Be safe, be cool, and just write it out. It, and it does, and listen, it sucks for a lot of people. There's a lot of people in my apartment complex who are out of work and freaking out. And I'm thinking of like, well, I'm out of work, but I'm not freaking out. But like gal across the way here, she's super freaking out. Guy down below, he's drinking so bad, he's freaking out. Uh, and a lot of people are on edge. Um, but I will, um, I don't know, man, when it comes to, you're right, just check the CDC and, and just, what is the world? Look, look at the world. Cause this is, a, isn't just America for answers. Look at the world health organization and the CDC. Don't like, I post a lot of shit on Facebook just to rile people up. I've got a lot of friends who are just tinfoil hats you know and i post like what do you got like i just posted something i had to take down because people were freaking out and tanya was pissed that i posted it but (laughs) it was like what do you i have thoughts question mark about this guy who comes on and it's all this conspiracy theory bullshit but uh to anybody out there who's listening to this regarding politics okay my thoughts on politics are this nothing is black and white And both parties are so weak, they all need to go. And the whole system needs to be reworked. Having these okay boomers, as you call it, all in charge, all these old 80-year-old white-haired men, they got to go. 
the people who need to be in charge can't be the extreme left and the extreme right. If you back up, let's say 100 years, 50 years, 100 years, and there's a Republican in the White House as the president, everyone should agree, both parties should agree about 80% with what that Republican president is saying, and the other 20% will pass laws and have talks about. If a Democrat is in office, 80% of both parties should be, or both parties should be agreeing about 80% of what that president is saying, and then they can kind of pass laws about the other 20%. But that is healthy. They are choosing the worst people to be their representatives, to be the leader of the country. Nobody, sorry, the majority of people who don't speak up do not want Donald Trump as president. The majority of people who don't speak up, or maybe will, do not want fucking Joe Biden as president either. What the fuck is wrong? Donald Trump or Joe Biden? The fuck are you talking about? Let's bring it back. Let's wash all of it away. Let's make it all even, Stephen. Let's have a handful of parties, not just two, like black and white. When you buy a box of crayons, there's more than black and white. There's too many people involved. So you have to have people on the side of the people. And right now, everything is bought and paid for by lobbyists and corporations and a handful of the people who are really in, who basically own everything. And the the people who should be in charge right now, I would say should be in their 40s. At the time in your life, 40s and 50s, not 70s and 80s, and not 20s and 30s, because this whole, it gets too far, too extreme. I don't want to say left or right, because it's, that's pegging people too far one way and too far the other way. And then the media takes that and blows it up. The lunatic fringe. It's horrific. And people our age see it. But just like we're comfortable with like, you know what? We've been trying to say this to both you older fuckers and now you younger fuckers. Okay. Well, you know, and I feel like if I wanted to get out and protest, I don't have a wife or kids or I can just go to jail just by standing out and being protesting like this is wrong. You're going to jail because it's wrong or because you're protesting or you have to have a license to protest. Huh. Fuck you. Like, like I said, you want to see what's wrong? Follow the money. You want to see what's right? Go outside your front door and make sure that you have food, water, shelter, and someone who you can love or to get loved by. Whether you believe in God or not, the whole reason why we're here is to survive. And you do that through love and you can go get food, go get a fishing pole, go get a rifle or a bow, go look up for some wild shit. Go look at the dandelions in your front yard. There's more like niacin and nutrients in the dandelions in your front yard than the kale in your grocery store. Now, don't quote me on this. I'm not a bioscientist, but you can eat dandelions. I had a whole bunch of fucking gardener came and we'd whack them all. I'm like, oh, that's my salad. What are you doing? You know, you get a couple of chickens. There's your eggs. What do you need if you based it on that? Oh, I just need so much. I look around me. I'm like, I don't need shit. I got my dog. You know, I got some pots and pans. I don't need much. Um, I can go on and on about this. I really like my, my needs are not much. And, and life is very, very simple. But letting people control you, letting, you know, we are, the gov- we, we are actually the government. People say, the government, we're the fucking government. It's us. It's the people. We should, we, know, we should know exactly where our tax dollar goes to the fucking half penny. 
And you should say across the board, you have to spend one-eighth of a penny on the military, one-eighth of the penny on schools, one-eighth of the penny. So across the board, all of a little bit of your money goes to everything. But then just like a soundboard mixer, if I said, I want 100% of my, or you know, I want this percent to go into education, oh my God, if you paid teachers $100,000 a year, everybody would have a much better education. Everybody would care about learning. Everybody would have a better understanding about how to balance their checkbook, about how their credit works, about how the voting system works, how to retain history. It's amazing to think what could happen if we had a better educational system. That's where my money goes. You know, I want to know, okay, we can spend money in the military. What do you mean all the money? And then all these bailouts, well, who's paying for that? And on and on. Like, I want to know where all my tax dollars go. It should make sense. And right now, it's just one big wildfire out of control. And who's in charge? Donald fucking Trump or Joe fucking Biden? Bullshit. And anybody under them, who the fuck is in charge here? I drink beer. I like beer. What are you talking about? I'm 80 years old. What? the fuck out of here. Let's have, like, look, I, I went off and I just want to apologize for all the <laughs> strong feelings well, about either end. I believe that we should all have a say in this and have checks and balances for everything. And everybody should be held accountable. And Jeffrey didn't kill himself. Of course. Yeah. There's too much. That's true. There's too much money in politics. We know that. Where it went, I think, in the moments in my life where politics went south were 24-hour cable news. Um, yeah, we don't need that have, much news. You used to have Walter Cronkite yeah. come out, read a half-hour news, yeah, piece them out. That was the news. No ifs, ands, or buts. No opinion piece. That was bang. And it worked that way till about 24-hour news cycle. Then you had to start putting out opinions about yeah politics you put out hypothetical um, views yeah or or you report on a story too quickly and it was completely wrong but at least you reported that was the idea i worked in news for a while yeah, the talking head thing Ugh. i understand how news works it's very sensationalist it's not if news was controlled by anybody they'd be controlled by corporations because that's what they're owned by um but they're not all liberal media like a lot of people think they're all owned by corporations who have they invest in it in how their news is delivered. Some influence it, AK Fox, some don't. I worked at a news station. We uh, went after our, our corporate office, which was Cablevision, and they were in beef with the Yankees. And they were wrong. Cablevision was wrong. And we ran the story. We did all the invest, and we didn't get slammed by our corporate office. You need stuff like that for news to work, not to be run with memos saying you're only going to report on half the news, whichever side it's going to be. Then the second biggest issue with politics is everyone got a comment section. Okay. Facebook, um, YouTube, whatever it's going to be. Any, everyone got a microphone when people, not everyone deserves to have one. I'm sorry, people, not all of you deserve to have your microphone and have all your thoughts put out on the internet because you just don't understand. You understand memes but you don't understand the complexity is the media that is the, the government and how and where your tax dollars go. We do need to understand it, but not everyone does. You can't just be like, well, I put out a meme that says, why can't we pay our vets and not take care of homeless people? Or, you know, it's weird shit like that. So it gave everybody this, this microphone 
that they think their, their opinions are more valid than they probably are. And those were two big shifts, paradigm shifts in politics. Because then you could just yell into your echo chamber, my tribe is the best. I love Donald Trump. Let's all go to his rallies. And you could live a life where you've never heard anything different because you're so in this echo chamber that by, when he doesn't become president, you freak out. You riot or something like that. It could work the other way on, on, as well. Like with Bernie dropping out of the race, I see people like, that's it. You know, I'm not going to vote. And I'm like, God, come on. You know, be better than that. And so um, it's interesting to watch. Yeah, if you get the money out of politics and you're talking about teaching, I come from a long line of teachers in my family. Where I was like, if you took our military budget, which is a couple billion dollars, for, more than that, many billions of dollars, took $1 billion, put it into education, you would see direct results from, for years to come, from the K through 12 level to college level, because you put it into, you put that much money into the resources. If we treated education like it was a top priority resource in this country, aka like the Japan does, we would see results. We would see us making things in the United States, not other countries, not us buying their crap. People would buy our crap because we are highly educated. We teach education like eh, it's okay for everybody to be average in this country. It's okay for you to be at, we're just going to do the basic. We're going to give you the basic skills with a basic amount of money to get by in some even places didn't even get that money. Some places, I mean, I was fortunate enough to grow up in, you know, good high school and everything and a good college, but those, some of those resources people will never see in their lifetime, but yet we can afford to buy aircraft carriers we don't use, tanks we don't use, but we can't, you know, feed and educate the youth of America. Just that. Even the infrastructure of the United States, that, though, the roads and bridges. Yeah. yeah. That means you could take a billion dollars from our defense budget and put it in roads and bridges. You'd see results. But we're, the money, you follow the money. Follow There's the money. Many big corporations you know, this that is what's that a, war machine. This is what upsets me, is that... Uh, you know, it's a beautiful world. There's goods and bads, pros and cons, light and dark. As a whole, most of the countries look at America as like, wow, they have the freedom. Capital, there is a freedom. Uh, there is a freedom to capitalism, I, and I understand. Uh, yes. It also has allowed Disney to buy everything. <laughs> um, follow the money. But uh, I, I, I feel bad that all these countries right now are looking at us, which was, which was a leader in the world, and they're just shaking their heads at, at what's going on politically. Uh, if you just, I really feel like the majority of not just the world, but the majority of Americans are shaking their heads, just like I am. I can't speak for you, but both parties have terrible leadership. And then, you, like I said, promoting the – it's just sad to think that all these countries are like, well – like if you like you think of any any pros pros and cons, but pros that like you know other countries have where they're doing just fine, they're doing okay, and they're happy, and things are, they're just a happy people. And I know I'm it's crazy to say, well, what about Finland and Norway and Sweden and Germany? They have all these great even Canada like this with the this, the way their system works. But then everybody who opposes that way of living that's actually happy, it's almost like this fanatic football fan mentality. Motherfucker, my Packers are everything or nothing, motherfuckers. You know, just this weird drunken beer belly fucking screaming in your face, mine or nothing. You know, I see that in like MAGA, motherfucker. Ah, I don't even know in the blood of Jesus. Ah. 
and whatever and look believe what you want i see the same when you see the far weird left like hey man you know like it annoys me when look don't shave your armpits ladies but i'm talking about like the people that portlandia kind of make fun of at the at the bookstore or like people are like hey man if it's yellow let it mellow if it's brown flush it down shut the fuck up and flush your toilet okay that's gross and here's some bleach because you're not going to clean it with that lavender oil because that's fucking gross okay you gave me coronavirus because you're cleaning with lavender oil and you didn't bleach your shit okay Anyway, um, yeah, both, I really feel like, you know, and those people that have the voice that get in front of the camera, you know, those people that uh, meet me outside, those people that, uh, I ain't got no time for that, are, are the people that are getting the FaceTime and not normal people are like, you know, I, um, I really do, I love most of my family and I'm, I'm doing the best I can and I, I really enjoy where I live and yeah, I want more, I don't need more, I'd like to do this and so I work hard for it and you know, and that's, I feel like that's most of America where like, I like, you, if you don't like your job, go find another job. You know, I had some shitty bartending gigs. And you know why they were shitty? Well, I don't know why they were shitty. I could tell you, but I stayed at them and they were just, they never got better. But then you find a good gig. You're like, oh my God, if I ever have a shitty gig again, I will constantly be looking for a better gig while I have that gig. I'll have the job, look for a better gig. And um, I believe most people are that middle ground. I think the middle ground should be speaking up more of like, hey, fuck twads, you shut the fuck up. You know, you might be a football, you might be a football stadium filled full of but everybody outside your city is just like the median people who stay at home and have friends over and order a pizza and love, love watching the game for the game, bet on the game, just chill out and enjoy themselves and like not crazy fanatical politicized. And I don't know, maybe we shouldn't be going off on politics so much. Cause I don't know what your listeners are like, you know, um, <laughs> that's hey, naturally. Well, they know me. I'm a little apolitical. Um, didn't care about politics till I moved to New York and we're killing side of the, the wheels of motion in Wyoming. It's a good old boys. Um, they'll vote Republican till the day they die. The most of the state, very rural politics run the state. So I know what I, where I live. Um, so I saw New York and it was like, opened my eyes to actually caring about where my tax dollar went and how I voted and who I voted for. And um, yeah, everybody knows I've lean to the left, but I vote for, the things I like and the things I think are going to be good for me and actually other people. So I'm very pro education, um, very pro technology, uh, very pro environment. If you can be both technology and environment, pro environment. You can. And that all is based off of education. Yeah. And that's why it should be education. Like I said earlier, when I was in North Dakota as a 11 year old, I was learning how to reload shotgun shells to go in the backyard and shoot a, 12 gauge shotgun and skeet shoot uh, uh, and you know clay pigeons then we take shells go back in teaching an 11 year old how to reload and shoot a shotgun reload shotgun shells and shoot them education and and everything across the board um oh man i lost my train of thought sorry well with education i'm i'm i work at university but i'm i'm like trade schools are great um we have to beef up our k through 12 but if when you finish school if you go and get a secondary education, that's great. I'm not saying you got to go to university. It just helps get you that job you like. 
not a shitty job that you're going to hold on for 20 years and be like, I hate every day of my life. But if you actually went and got a trade, you may do something different. Uh, I know what I was going to say. So freedom, the freedom to do what you want to do, the freedom of choice and the freedom to allow someone else that choice. And the only way you can give that freedom to the people of the United States is a proper education. Why? This is why. Pro-choice people, gun ownership people. It's a perfect example. Religion, everything. It's this. You want to own a gun? You have the freedom to do that. But I have to teach you how to be responsible. We have to teach you why you want to do that and how to own a gun. You have to teach your responsibility, what a gun does, how it's built, uh, what it's for. And do you realize that if you shoot someone, you'll go to prison for the rest of your life? You will kill the person and ruin the lives of that family, and you'll probably ruin the lives of your family. There's so many consequences from that, but you have the freedom to own the gun. Do you want to take that class? Yes, because I have the freedom. Great, take the class. And you go through this huge class thing about that. And then when you realize that, then you, then you can even say, you know what? I don't want a gun because I, I have something inside me that makes me want to use that just like a stick. I, I forgot to tell you guys before I joined the class that I, I've always imagined sharpening a stick and jabbing it in people's eyes. Maybe you shouldn't own a gun. Let's go over to this other class here with these padded walls. And, you know, and then you have the pro-choice. Same thing. Sex education in schools should teach everything, not just how babies are made, but the emotions that go along and how you're going to feel because you have testosterone, testosterone, you know, and it's just like an overwhelming, I've got to, so when you're with a girl as a guy or with a, or with a guy as a girl, either way, you're just like, you want to get it on and then you're not thinking and then you're pregnant and depending on where you live, what are you going to do then? But it all comes back from the first education, telling people. Now, girls, you're going to feel a sex drive. It may ebb and flow. But these other 15 and 16-year-old boys, for a long time, they're going to feel it stronger than any emotion they possibly have. So get ready. Like really teach that sort of thing, like however you do it. And then as far as pro-choice goes, you have the freedom to choose. You have the freedom of religion but it's none of your business to tell other people what they can or can't do with their bodies. That's the freedom of choice. It's just like your religion. You know, a super Christian person can say, you're killing a baby. Lady or man, it's none of your fucking business what anyone else does but your own. So if you have that feeling, don't do it. But it's none of your business. You know, I, you know, I tell people when they walk up to me, uh, crazy people uh, walk up to me sometimes in the parking lot. Um, uh, guy at a bar one time when a friend of mine got angry and he left and he's screaming, guys, hey, you guys shut the fuck up. I looked at him and I said, first of all, uh, I wasn't yelling. That was my buddy. He was screaming at the top of, his, the top of his lungs. And as you see, as you can see, he left. But secondly, do you see me standing here minding my own business? Mind your own fucking business. Uh, yeah. And then the bartender told the guy, yeah, it's none of your fucking business. The guy is gone. So why are you screaming? At and I'm, it's right. Anybody gets into my face about anything, I, I don't start no shit, won't get no shit. Okay? 
Is any, I say, do you see me standing? This happens all the time. Do you see me standing here, mind my own business? Facebook mentality. It's weird. Yeah, yeah, the whole commenting without the um, repercussion. Oh, yeah, and they do it in public. And yeah, like they say something and you could turn around and punch them in the face. You can't do it on Facebook and they're shocked. Or like if you turn around and like mind your own business, they're like, it is my business because you put it out there like Facebook and they don't get it. Social boundaries on that one. Um, I kind of want to push it a little bit further on your, I would love to, and I started thinking this lately, religion, you should not be able to join religion or teach religion until, until you're 18 or 21 because in the wrong hands, it's dangerous. Very dangerous. It's like, oh, you mean teaching it to people. They have to be of a certain age. Like if you want to join a, if you want to learn about religion, you have to be 18. Yes. You can't just teach, take your kid to Sunday school. Like, because religion in the wrong hands, all religion is very dangerous. Like going, hey, here's a loaded gun. Yeah. Don't shoot yourself or anybody yeah. else. And not oh, teaching I, somebody about the loaded gun. Yeah. Religion is very that way too, because people, all their moral, oh my, well, I'm like, well, why are you religious? Well, my mom and dad, and they, I'm like, they're like, why aren't you? And I'm like, well, because my mom and my dad but, you know, didn't put that on me. said, find your own path. If you do, great. If you don't, you're fine. And so I'm very much, religion's very foreign to me. So I'm like, but I looked into it after I was 18. I, I, I read about it. I've been to churches and all that stuff. Not my gig organized religion, but I think people should have the choice with religion not to have to learn it until they're 18 and actually get educated mm-hmm. in our school system first. Then you learn your religion. But not just that. I think people should learn about every religion. Sure. I read, a, I read a book once that blew, literally blew away in the wind. It was so old, I left it in the back of my car, so it got sunbaked, and then I had the windows down on the freeway yeah. one day, and pages just went, and went out of the bow. Oh, no! But it was called The Seven uh, Great Religions of the World, and it talked about Christianity, Catholicism, Judaism, Taoism, Hinduism, Zoroastrianism. And it was the oldest, craziest one. That's one where they bury the people in the tower and the vultures come. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, um, what's Muslim? the other age? And Muslim. Thank you. So, and thank you very much. So there's the seven. So those are the original ones. And it tells all the religions all have the similar stories and they all have a prophet, which was the conduit from the great God to Mary. Now, those are the seven great ones. The, the rest of them, you ha- still have Greek mythology and Thor and Norse mythos, and you've got so many religions. Everybody believes something, and it all kind of comes down to the sun, the creation of the human mind and imagination, maybe some psychedelics involved, but uh, it's all stories about how to you know, be a person in a civilization, to be, to be a good person. That's what the good book is about, how to be a good person. And anybody listening now who has crazy, whatever their religious theories are, listen, I was raised Catholic. Do you remember going to my Catholic school or okay. church with I me? I your church a few times. Okay. So both my parents were raised Catholic. My, my mother is from German and Romanian Catholics. My father is from very Irish and Welsh Catholics. Okay. I have my ancestry dated all the way back to the baptismal records of Patrick Barrett from uh, Belmont Peninsula in Binghamstown in Ireland. My uh, mother's side came from the Lesmeisters in uh, 
Germany and Romania. I forget the last name right now. Oh, sorry. Great, great grandpa, grandma. But um, anyway, strong Catholic background. We were raised, baptized, went to communion as Catholics. Okay. Uh, too much trauma in North Dakota. Stop going to church. Did try out a Lutheran church from that kid's face I blasted. They later on introduced me to church. And you know what? Those Lutheran people are really nice. They're super friendly. They sing songs. But... And they have food. It was awesome. Like, this is, this, this is church. I like this. Because going to Catholic church. Just talking a bunch of shit at a podium while you're sitting in those wooden pews that make your butt itch. And there's no oxygen in that church. And it's just boring. And everyone's like, do, you, do I stand? Do I sit? Do I kneel? Do I stand? Sit, kneel, stand. And then we're eating out of your dirty fingers this Eucharist of Christ, which is the body of Christ. And then drinking of the wine, which is the blood of Christ. If that doesn't sound paganistic, which is, paganism, by the way, kids, means to worship an idol. And in the Christian and Catholic religion, it's worshiping Jesus on the cross. That's an idol, making it a pagan religion. Anything that has an idol is paganism. Um, I just, <laughs> I don't like the Catholic religion. And if you look at the Crusades, they fucking killed a lot of people. And I was not a fan of that either. Um, and I just, too confining. And basically, if you read the Bible, just like if you read the Quran or any other religious scripture, it's going to tell you the same things. Don't be an asshole. Don't kill people. Don't, uh, don't rape people. Don't kill people. Don't steal from people. It has the same stories. But, Treat others how you want to be treated. Golden rule. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, you get to that thing where it's like, you know, um, my friend was just telling me, my friend Kim was telling me the other night, she's like, you know, she was raised Mormon. And funny enough, my friend Nathan, we both we all went to high school together. Nathan's dad was the bishop of the Mormon church in Palm Desert. So Kim's at school when she was a little girl, and she's the one who raises her hand and goes, excuse me. So Adam and Eve have Cain and Abel, but Adam and Eve created everyone. So were they all sleeping with mom? Did they have some daughters? Who was sleeping with who? And the fucking teacher went wild and kicked her out of class. Just because she was actually, because she's taking it. She's like, aren't these stories just to teach us how to be better human beings? And at one point in history, just to kind of keep control over the kings and queens and what you know, of their of the people, basically. Uh, but yeah, so we're getting into politics and religion. This is fantastic. This is well, fantastic. I I was like, I was kind of gonna wind it up because we're probably an hour and a half deep into this thing. Um, so we're just gonna. Stop right there for now, and we'll call this part one of our podcast. Oh, dude, I want to talk and talk. And, and so, because I got to go eat some dinner here. I have so many stories. There are so many stories like, oh, you hungry? Yeah, I got to eat some dinner here in a second. I'm starving. Oh. I was like, man, if I had some chips, I'd be eating chips right now, crunching so, on your podcast. Uh, yeah, I'm going to, I mean, so many different topics that we've just covered. And we've only gotten to maybe your 20s in your life. So we'll just call this like, part one. Oh, dude. We'll get yeah. back at it. Sure, again. part one. Label it yeah. part one. There's so many stories. Justin, did I ever tell yeah. you about, the t- we'll call it, did I ever tell you about the time? Because I tell you, one time, my buddy in LA invited me to this porn party. The porn party turned in. We went across the street to the Rainbow Room. I'll tell you right now. Here's the end of the podcast. Hey, no. Hold that for the oh, next podcast. All right, all right. I'll tell Hold you this later. for the next podcast. People, all right. a porn, pod, porn party. Porn party and Brian Frankenstein. Wait, Barrett it's going to be called Porn Party and the Bride of Frankenstein. Porn Party and the Bride of Frankenstein on the next All My Friends with Justin Flaskrew. Charlie Barrett, thank you for joining my podcast. We'll be talking soon. Thank you for having me.
friends. I'm looking for a music artist to create a transition music like you just heard right there that I can use on the show. I'll give you credit each show. Just contact me via text, email, PM, DM, Facebook if you think you can come up. Guitar lick, bass, guitar lick, drum lick, or drum line, um, DJ, scratch, something like that. So let me know. Hit me up. Facebook, Twitter, social media, email, text. Okay, Charlie and I just went a bit over two hours talking, and we barely scratched the surface on Charlie's life and the tangents we could go off on. Now, folks, some sad news. During that time that we did the interview to, well, now it's being posted, Cash, Charlie's dog, passed away from complications due to a tumor on his liver. Now, it's never easy losing a pet. There are friends, our closest companions through thick and thin. They give us love to come home to. And after hearing that news of Cash's passing, I gave Carl, my cat, an extra squeeze, told him I loved him. He's 12 years old, so I know our time together is a little more precious these days than it used to be. And so I appreciate kind of this quarantine time being able to spend some time home with him and hanging out. Um, He's one of the best things that ever happened to me, and I know Charlie felt the same way about Cash. Uh, if your pet is nearby, give him an extra hug, give him an extra treat, and do it for Cash. And a side note, I think now, if you can afford it, time-wise, money-wise, go rescue a cat or dog. We're all at home on quarantine and can use the love and change a focus. Just think about rescuing that cat or dog right now in your life. You could use it if you need a companion home right now. You got the time. You got the money. Just think about rescuing a cat or dog. It helped me and I know it's helped Charlie. So uh, go out there. Help out an animal. It could change your life. Now we'll get Charlie back on the show. He's just in mourning right now and he appreciates all the love and support that is being given to him right now. But he will be back to tell us the story about the porn party and the Bride of Frankenstein. Now on to the next podcast.